part two. Ten Daiji, Kun said sing song, drawing out each syllable with happiness as he threw his arms around Ten's neck, startling him a little. It is a beautiful day, not on Cygnus, he said, finishing with a hum. Do you know how beautiful a day it is, my darling? He pressed a kiss to Ten's cheek. It's a wonderful day, a gorgeous day, a truly spectacular, wondrous day. Good morning, Kun, said Ten, leaning his head back so Kun could give him a proper kiss. Happy, are we? Kuhn framed his face and gave him a smack on the lips and then pressed little kisses all over the rest of his face for good measure. Freedom, my darling. Freedom. Wide open spaces. Great adventure. No docking fees. A dream come true. I see how it is. And I thought you were happy to see me. You were just thinking about saving money, teased Ten. Kuhn gave him another kiss. Is the baby up yet? He said, flinging himself into the navigator's chair and humming under his breath. No. Kuhn kept humming, and Ten had a moment of deep, blinding happiness. So lucky. Suddenly, Kuhn stopped humming, and Ten felt the ship's shudder. In the neural link, he could feel something open, wound-like, from somewhere underneath him. He grunted with the impact. Kuhn, something's wrong. The ship lurched hard, and the engine shut down. Ten could feel Kuhn trying to restart them manually, but he knew it wouldn't work. Through the neural link... He could feel the ship being drawn into a singularity, atom by atom, ripped apart, as if his own body was being trapped in light forever. He screamed. There was another deep shudder, and the ship slammed forward at intense speed. Ten's body was thrown forward, his head bouncing off the bulkhead, the link broken. Kuhn didn't see. Desperately, he tried to wrench control back into the manual station, ramping up engine system after engine system after the link failed to try and pull them back from the singularity but nothing happened. Daddy? He didn't have to look at her. Couldn't look at her. Go back to your room, he shouted. But Daddy Ten, go back to your room, Gia. The ship lurched again, and this time Kun could see Ten's unconscious body slide to the floor and slump against one of the bulkheads. Fuck, he whispered, trying to restart the ion engine still. Papa, look. Not now, Gia, he shouted, flinging another emergency switch to bring chemical systems back. Anything. But it didn't work. They were still being drawn closer and closer to the singularity. No, Papa, look! He glanced up at the view screen to see a halo of an event horizon sucking them in, and a barrage of debris coming into their space faster than the screens could register. Blips of images staggered onto the screen discontinuously. No, he said quietly, taking his hands off the controls. There wasn't anything he could do. Maybe, maybe Ten could have gotten them out with the neural link, but he certainly couldn't use it. And at a glance to the ruined console next to him, there wasn't probably much left to use. We're going to die, he thought. He grabbed Gia and wrapped her up in his arms as the first impact started to hit the ship. Alarms sounded as integrity breached, a hole punched through the command center, a hole right by ten. The man's body compressed, elongated, sucked out through the vacuum. Daddy! Gia was screaming and crying, struggling out of his arms, but Kuhn was too scared to let go and held on tighter. No, he said softly. No, 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 no. But the oxygen was leaving the ship too fast. Gia went still. There was a sound like tearing metal in his mind, and a shriek from her that sounded like she had torn every muscle in her throat, but somehow he knew that she hadn't used her vocal cords. For a second, the ship shimmered around them, and then time stopped. Somehow he knew it was coming from her. The debris field froze. Gia froze. Everything around him held perfectly and immensely still. 
before winking out and restarting with a sickening shudder that threw him from the chair and left him broken and bleeding on the floor. When he came to, Gia was curled in his arms, and a Stigma Station medical technician was flicking a penlight at him, kneeling next to him with an evac kit. Sir, sir, are you all right? Your ship was, was heavily damaged. No, he whispered, gathering his daughter up closer to him, feeling tears rolling down his face and into her hair. No, I'm not all right. Neither is she. Part 3 This is the G-975 Federal Transport Ship Orion calling Cygnus Station Master. Over. Gia saved the reconstruction with a thought and centered her mind to feel the docking request like a little pinprick in her finger. Mentally, she opened the communication line associated with that port. This is Cygnus 1 Station Master. Go ahead. Over. Cygnus 1, we'd like permission to dock. We'd also like to request medical assistance. Low level. We have a passenger who may be in cardiac arrest. Roger that. G975. Gia extended one of her brains slightly as the man talked to notify her medical services officer and dispatch a level 1 crew. Emergency medical has been discharged. A little hum ran along that same finger, and she knew they'd acknowledge and would be there within three minutes. Three minutes to deployment. Please stand by. Roger, Cygnus 1. There was a pause. She felt the touch of the med team in her mind, the stabilization of the patient as if it was her own heart. Cardiac arrhythmia, not life-threatening, patient injected with 3 cc's nanorobotic fluid for restoration of normal rhythm. G975, Cygnus 1, I believe your passenger is stabilized and you're ready to complete docking procedures. That is correct, Cygnus 1, transmitting now. Gia felt a flood of new information as the ship opened its memory banks and neural link to her. She automatically triggered the decon process and made the standard cursory review of flight paths, personnel, critical assets, and other ship information with a portion of her secondary brain, and set another portion working on integrating that information into the historical archives for further investigation later. Maybe they will have gone somewhere exciting I can learn about. Cleared G975. Welcome to Cygnus. Over and out. She let her analog mind scan over several of her digital brain readouts, monitoring station life support and critical functions, but didn't see anything unusual. It returned to the reconstruction she had been building, the one with her parents, with the tiniest touch of her attention. It had taken a while to harmonize the different data streams from her parents, her parents' ships, from the Mariah, from the station, but it had come out reasonably well. She mentally held up the memory collections to critique them. It's almost accurate. Feel there's a section missing somewhere, but I'm not sure. I'll have to review the secondary logs and potential third-order sources. She let her mind drift to the rest of the station, flitting from deck to deck, peeking through the eyes of the service drones with camera systems in a barely conscious whirlwind, trying to find something to ease the loneliness, the boredom, something to look at, something that wasn't agonizing blackness, either of space around her or the digital space that was her whole life. She jumped from residential units to the marketplace and rested briefly on the Catalan embassy. For a moment, she hesitated. The Catalan always seemed to know when she was around, and she felt a tiny hint of guilt at spying on them. They were never unwelcoming, it's just... She always got this odd sort of yearning around them that was different from when she watched the humans. She dropped the link to the embassy and went back to roaming through her hallways, a digital ghost drifting through the automated systems of her station. There were people arguing in one section, their voices raised. She automatically increased the temperature around them and pumped a sedative into the air, moderating their voices, bringing it back to calm. 
Delicately, she probed their implants to see what the fight was about, but just got a confusing wash of images with naked people and odd feelings that she couldn't understand. She released the link and kept drifting. She would have sighed or maybe squirmed or something if she still had communications with her actual body. I wonder if it still works, she thought, flinging herself through circuits until she came to rest in the heart of the station control room. She settled into the security feed to see herself naked, motionless in a vat of nutrient and preservation fluid attached to several thick black cords. She zoomed in closer to see that her face looked different than last time. Older, but barely. Long black hair waved out around her immobile face, held still in a thick juice around her. Her nails had grown. They looked long and sharp against the softness of her body. So thin, she thought, changing the angle to see her ribs sticking out sharply hip bones protruding. When was the last time I adjusted the nutrient stream? Her AI supplied a date from when she had still been a child. Oh my. Well, that will never do. She increased the dosage and tracked her min trace mineral content. Much too low. I wonder why I didn't sense that. With a thought, she changed the settings on the input and promptly lost interest. The boredom was constant. Boredom and a low hum of anxiety. Oxygen production is too low in Section 4, she noticed, and sent an alarm to the engineering department to go fix it. Micrometeorite damage. The biosphere needs a new converter, she wrote, sending it off to the chief engineer. Callista was nice, as engineers went. A little uncreative, and she still thinks I'm a computer. Gia stopped. Well, maybe she's right. Maybe I am just an AI at this point. Not like it matters. She dismissed the thought as irrelevant. For such a big place, the station was very quiet today. Even the market had shut down early for the moon festival. Everyone was at home preparing for the dances and fun later in the day. It felt like a ghost town. Gia checked the peacekeeper status to make sure they would have enough police on duty to moderate the drunken revelry that was about to happen. But Chief Miranda was thorough and precise. Her plan was complete. Gia had nothing to do. How annoying. She skimmed through flight plans and maintenance schedules and again lit through the circuits to test structural integrity as if the station was her own body. But there was nothing. Even the medical ward was nearly empty with the on-duty orderly and doctor watching some kind of comedy entertainment on one of the wall screens in the lounge. She drifted closer to see what it was and paused for a moment. She didn't get the jokes, and the rhythm of it was too boring. Simple, uncreative, standard. Why do people like this kind of stuff, she thought. It has no substance. Still bored, she threw her main consciousness out into the safety buoys, the satellites hovering around the station like a web. The machines were locked in synchronous orbit, monitoring for spatial anomalies, ships, radiation, whatever might need an early warning system. It was quiet and peaceful listening to the digital records of the now-familiar quasar tapping at them from a few million light-years away. The usual rush of radiation and hum of background noises from the other stations. She'd heard from her predecessor that the other stations were close. The station masters could even talk to each other. But Cygnus was on the far reaches of known space, and any connection with the other stations would take weeks. And what would we talk about, she thought, practically. Gossip? No. There wasn't much point unless there was a genuine emergency. Somehow I don't think Hadar would appreciate me plugging up his circuits just because I'm bored. But I am bored. So bored. There has to be something that needs doing on this station. But there wouldn't be, not until the festival tonight. 
She contented herself with the data stream from the sensors, seeing the brilliancy of the small Rigel solar system echoing around her in false color she applied to the images, translating them for human optical spectrum conditions and creating her favorite synthetic images. She'd post them on the station feed. People seemed to enjoy looking at them. She eyed one of her creations critically and then saved the file to a personal account. That planetary nebula is really lovely. Maybe I could add some fractal algorithms to change the color variance a little? It would give me something to do, anyway. She felt the telltale prickle on her skin and perked up. A new ship is inbound. Maybe they'll have some good archives. She reached out to touch the AI of the ship and stopped. It was familiar. Too familiar. It was her father's ship. Mariah? She reached out again and felt the same cattle and human hybrid of machinery, chemistry, and neurobiology in an organic matrix. Unmistakable. The new hybrid ships weren't nearly as well-made or alive as Mariah, and besides, she had just finished going through the memory archives. Something bubbled up in her faraway body, something she hadn't felt in a long, long time. A quick flash of loneliness, yes, but also something solid and suffocating, as if there was something lodged in her throat. But I don't feel my throat anymore. What is this? She sat in the ship's circuits, moving around the inside of it, poking at its logs and records. A cyborg? One that should have been recycled? Hmm, that could be a threat. Her AI dutifully brought up the corporate policies on returning stolen property, but she closed the regulation. Later, later, I want to know what she's doing in my daddy's ship. Go away. She shut down one of her AI assists that was recording the event and wiped the data stream with another thought. A police officer, she thought, looking deeper. This one registered at Rigel. Peacekeeper on administrative leave, not cleared for travel. Interesting. This is interesting. Did you steal Mariah, you bad children? She pried into the ship's security records and saw the silicon chip with her papa's records on it. Papa? If she had had hands anymore, she would have dropped it. Papa, you sent them to me? Why? Who are these people? She matched descriptions and biosignatures in the corporate database. Recycled. There are some files here on mutated transmissible spongiform encephalopathies found on Rigel. Similar to mine, actually. I wonder if they're infected with the same variant that I have. She felt a tiny burst of hope. Someone to talk to, maybe they... But as she checked their medical records, she couldn't find any evidence of the prion, in any form, mutated or not. Bother. So, Papa Kuhn, why did you send me these people? She downloaded all the ship and crew information into her archives and set one of her AIs onto classifying it and recording it for review later and waited for them to come into official comm range. Chapter 4. Cygnus Orbital Station Part 1. Eli leaned down to stretch his arms over the semi-organic chitin control panels in the manual cockpit and rubbed his face against the crystalline touch displays. Look at her, Luke. Just look at her. Isn't she beautiful? My own ship. My own delightful ship. Luke gave him a dismissive glance. Quit rubbing your face on it. You might break something. When do we get to Cygnus? Eli closed his eyes and continued hugging the ship. Mariah loves me, even if you don't. She wouldn't break or do anything so impolite, would you, my sweet? We'll be within comm range in a couple of days. Luke let out a breath. 
We should have code names or change our data streams or something. What if corporate is waiting for us on Cygnus? Why would they be waiting for us? Asked Eli re reasonably. Mariah's clean. I have a sort of clean record, and I'm flying under Kunihiro's name anyway. You and TK are supposed to be dead. Don't worry about it. He turned the call down into the engine corridor. Isn't that right, monster? There wasn't an answer, but no one expected any. TK didn't understand when he called her that, which is why he kept doing it. She seemed to be fascinated by the inner workings of Mariah, though. He and TK had been down in the guts experimenting with how she was put together all week. A ton of neurological components that I can't touch, much less fly. TK might, if she knew a damn thing about anything other than killing people. TK! Eli shouted. Come up and be sociable. Let's eat something. Luke is annoying me and I'm bored. I'm annoying you? Well, excuse me for being concerned. You can be concerned. Just don't get it all over me when you do. TK! Eli flipped the autopilot controls and saw the acknowledgement screen light up briefly on the Obsidian display before reverting to a flight path overview on the main screen. Come on, grumpy pants, said to Luke. You get to eat, too. I'm not grumpy. Yes, you are. Look at that mean face. Go stuff something nutritious into it. Luke made a disgusted expression. We only have that nutritional supplement 4B in there, and it's gross. TK emerged from the engineering corridor and drifted over to the tiny kitchen. Do we have anything else? She signed to Eli. Nope. Sorry, small fry. You're stuck with supplements until we get to Cygnus. And then... Ooh, wait a minute. He paused as something occurred to him, and he hurriedly brought up a synced calendar with the Cygnus orbital timestamp. Hot damn, y'all. We're going to make it for the moon festival. Moon festival? asked TK in her sweet high voice. What's a moon festival? Lunar festival. Lunar New Year. And it's got a couple of names. Oh boy, oh boy. You robot types are in for a kick. When I was a kid, there were parades and competitions and dancing in the street and fireworks and all kinds of stuff. And the food. The food, my darlings. Oh, man, I'm just drooling thinking about it. Cakes and these little puff pastries that have some kind of dead thing in them. I don't know what they are, but they're delicious, and... I'm not sure we want to be so public, Eli, said Luke. And wait, are you from Cygnus? Like, for real? Do you have parents and stuff here? Sure do, said Eli. You excited to meet my parents? I mean, they always told me I should bring home a nice young man like you. He gave Luke a quick once-over. You need a haircut. And my mama hates cops, so, you know, maybe don't lead off with that. Luke frowned a little and muttered, Why would she hate cops? But didn't seem to know what to do with the rest of the statement. Eli grinned at him and took a long stretch, making his way to the kitchen where TK had given up on mixing the nutritional supplement and was instead staring at him with unabashed curiosity, almost as if she was trying to visualize the festival and coming up short, and the food. Eli winked at her and dug out a packet for himself, mixing it with water, sticking a straw into the top for him to suck out the slurry with. Ugh, Luke's right. Supplement is crap. Tastes like moldy cardboard. Oh, come on, monster lady, drink up. I'll buy you a pastry when we get cleared for docking. You'll never want to eat a supplement again. But on second thought, maybe we shouldn't let you try them. It'll just make you spoiled. TK gave the supplement a bored glance and ate it monotonously before returning her attention to Luke and obviously turning her back on Eli. Hey, shorty, I was just kidding, called Eli. Don't be like that. TK seated her seven-foot frame into the tiny fold-out chair in the kitchenette and continued ignoring him, looking oddly childlike with a sippy cup. 
if you ignore the seven feet of muscle and machine oozing badassery. TK, TK, what are we going to do with you? You just scream android, and there are no cyborgs on Cygnus. None? asked Luke in surprise. Why not? Eli shrugged his shoulders. No idea. As far as I can tell, the Catalan don't like them, and the station master got pissed at corporate about a billion years ago, so just banned them. Not a single cyborg on Cygnus. He gave her another up and down. Putting you in a dress just seems like putting a tutu on a bull. And your implants are going to show through anything but a religious robe. Oh, and sorry, sweetheart, but your face is ugly. No way around that. People are going to notice you. TK drew her fingers up around her face and traced the bone structure. I'm ugly? She said it as if she was surprised, not really offended. Oh, is that bad? Luke punched Eli in the arm. Stop that. Quit bullying her. TK, you're not ugly. You're fine. Eli does have a point about your implants and all. Do you have anything else to wear in that big bag you haul around everywhere? She shook her head. No, that's medical equipment, mostly. I've been experimenting with removing some of my implants and modifying portions of myself to look more human. It seems I've been unsuccessful. She glanced down at her forearms, still imprinted with a display and several interface ports. I have managed to take out quite a few, but... Yeah, said Luke. I wish you would have done that after I downloaded your original AI. I don't know how to pull the information I need out of you now. TK shrugged. If you could tell me what you need, I'll just write it for you. I don't know what I need, said Luke, frustrated with the same argument. I need to see your data files altogether. Well, I've been writing out all the memory fragments one at a time to try and help you, she said soothingly. But I understand if your brain needs it in a different format. I just can't produce images or reconstructions like I used to anymore. At least since you broke me out of the server. I know, I know, don't worry about it. Luke seemed uncomfortable with her and broke away from her calm, steady expression. Maybe the station master can help, said Eli. It's a really powerful system. Uses organic computing, too, from what I understand. And it's real good with abstract questions or problems. I used to talk to him all the time when I was a kid. A quick flash of memory. He even used to cover for me with my, um, hmm... Differing perspectives with local authority personnel? What a surprise, murmured Luke. You have authority issues. Oh, who doesn't, said Eli. Anyway, besides, we can always download what's left of TK into the station master and see what it comes up with. Luke seemed disturbed. But what if corporate finds out? Luke, relax. We're a billion miles away from corporate. Cygnus is a total haven for freaks and weirdos. The university here is like famous for all those crazy sensitive kids who can move shit with their minds and terraforms and do all that magic crap. It's got a reputation. Luke gave TK a long look. Hmm. Okay. Okay, we can try it. But you gotta help me out, Eli. I've never been off planet before and sure as shit never dealt with an orbital station master. Those things are supposed to be real tricky. <laughs> you just leave it to me. I've been told I'm a delight. Is that a joke? asked TK innocently. Why would someone say that? Hush, monster, said Eli. You just can't appreciate my effervescent charm. Mariah KD1059er calling Cygnus Station Master. Come in, over. This is Cygnus Station Master. Go ahead. Cygnus Station Master Mariah KD1059er requesting docking at main station for one week scheduled resupply. Over. Mariah KD1059er, you are cleared for docking. Berth 1, main station. Coordinates to follow, over. Eli blinked in surprise. 
It was almost like the station master was waiting for them. And a first-level berth. Wow. Talk about rolling out the red carpet for the prodigal son. Don't mind if I do. Cigna Station Master Mariah KD1059 are received coordinates. Understand berth 1, main station, level 1, proceeding to location, over and out. He glanced at Luke. The big man had his usual tight, pinched expression on and a sort of tense set to his shoulders. Eli, he said. Was it just me, or was she waiting for us? She was waiting for us, said TK, moving up to stand behind the pilot console. She handed Luke a tablet. All Mariah's record logs had been copied and downloaded to an unknown administrator a couple days ago. How, said Luke, how is that possible? I don't know, but it's likely that it has all of our personnel information and whatever biosignature or neurosignature the ship has developed for us. She looked a little further down on the tablet. Also, it seems that the exterior and interior sensor nets were also accessed remotely. So she's listening right now, said Casper. Probably, said TK. Although she's probably been listening for a couple days. Fuck, said Luke. That's extremely disconcerting. Don't worry, said a disembodied voice from Mariah's alarm system. I wouldn't hurt anyone Papa Coon sent me. The voice was childlike, soft and modulated with a number of different vocal signatures, as if there was music or additional signal bleeding into whatever transmissions he was sending to Mariah. Welcome to Cygnus, she said. I'm Station Master Gia. Well, I'll be damned, said Eli. Station Master, are you a real person? A real person? Of course I am. No, 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 I mean like a human. Yes, I am like a human. No, 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 are you an AI? I have an AI. Eli threw up his hands. Never mind, forget I asked. TK, you talk to her. She sounds just as confused and nuts as you. Station Master, Kunihiro Post sent us here. He said you would take care of us, TK said. Of course he did. I read it on the clearance codes in your ship archive, and I already told you. Anyone Papa Kun sends me is my friend. Is he... Is he... She seemed to be having trouble finding the words, like she was stuck in some kind of error message stutter. He's fine, blurted Eli finally. He's good. He's a guildmaster on Rigel Tal 4. Guildmaster? Pilots, yeah. Good guy. Healthy as a horse. Horse? Um, Eli scratched his head a little. Just healthy, I guess. Oh, good, Gia said faintly. I haven't seen him for a long time. Break. I've been reviewing your information. Eli's display, display blacked out and was replaced with a confusing wall of images, noises, memory snatches flung up on Mariah's crystalline view screen. Hey, he said, fumbling for the controls. I'm still flying here. At least let us get to the berth before you start fucking with us. Ah, uh, yes, I'm sorry. Allow me to assist. Immediately the ship gave a little stutter and the controls went dead in Eli's hands. She banked it hard to one side, dropped it through a complex pattern of mining elevators and cargo shafts, and then nestled it comfortably into the assigned berth. You really should use the neurological controls more often, she told him. The manual connections are much too slow for appropriate engine efficiency. Eli sulked. I can't use the neuro controls, as you probably already know, and I like flying manual. Keep your grubby little paws off my navigational systems. Oh, I'm sorry. Another pause. You are a very good pilot, Eli Weaver. Don't patronize me. 
I'm sorry. She sounded hurt, and Luke punched Eli in the shoulder again. Ouch, lay off, said Eli. She's a big girl. She can take it. I don't think she is, said Luke quietly. Her voice makes her sound like she's about twelve. I'm twenty, said Gia through the speakers. Great, said Luke. That's not what I said. There was the sound of a docking port closing around the ship and the distinctive shudder that meant they were attached to the station. Immediately, the wall of color and sound and memories blasted onto the viewing platform again. Most of them seemed to be TKs. An image of a conference room, a table, numbers scrolling along that were meaningless to Eli, but that made TK inhale sharply in reaction. An image of the recycling facility from a loader's perspective. The great dark maw opened, and Eli could see down its throat into a morass of bodies and body parts, some still weakly moving, a grinder at one end churning through human meat as the dock lights lit up and something activated it. They could hear the crunch of bones and screaming in metal against metal. TK and Luke both stared at the screen as Eli turned away. Fuck, he said, shivering a little. This distresses you, asked Gia. She cut off the feed. I'm sorry, but Lucas Casper, you wanted to download TK's memories. These are TK's memories. What are you looking for? Eli could almost feel Luke grind his teeth. I don't know exactly. I just know that there are a lot of bodies that end up in the recycle facilities that shouldn't, and there's something about Mana Gutierrez that's making money off them. Oh, she said, a puzzle. Yes. Only, Station Master, you can call me Cygnus, or Gia if you want. The last was said almost shyly, as if she didn't use her name much and wasn't sure she should anymore. Gia, said Luke. Please don't let anyone know we're here or that we know anything. You understand? We have to go under the radar. And I need to get into communications with a cyborg on Rigel Tau Four, closed channel. Keep it away from corporate. Do you understand? Corporate servers have pretty strong firewalls and security protocols, she said, almost to herself. It'll be interesting to figure out a sole target one that's still connected to a corporate server. There was a long pause, and the sounds through the speakers increased in modularity, as if more noise had been introduced with Gia's distraction. She gasped a little. TK Zero, she said. Are you? There was another break, more signal noise. No, she said finally. That shouldn't be possible. Every light in the ship turned on, including the emergency lights in engineering. The group turned to look down the corridor, TK-045-4675, are these memories accurate? Is there any possible data corruption? I don't know, Station Master, said TK, clear and calm. I recovered everything to the best of my ability and transferred it to the organic matrix. Oh, said Gia. The lights abruptly all shut off, as if she'd pulled her attention entirely from the Mariah. Eli cleared his throat. <clears throat> Miss Station Master, the lights came back on. Please, call me Gia. Gia, sweetheart, um, can we, you know, leave now? Can I have the ship back? I'd like to go on Cygnus, and I can't wait to... Eli Weaver, you are banned from Cygnus Orbital, she said in her quiet, professional, little girl voice. You'll need permission from the Chief of Security to set foot on any of the levels here. He laughed. Oh, that won't be a problem. Hmm, maybe not, agreed Gia. I'll notify her. What the fuck are you doing, hissed Luke, grabbing Eli's arm. You want to avoid making targets of ourselves and you're wanted here? 
and you're volunteering to talk to security? Oh, relax, that ban was from years ago. Just a series of youthful indiscretions. Don't worry, Eli said, patting him. The chief loves me. This won't take a moment. Six and a half minutes later, Eli, Luke, and TK stood awkwardly in the cargo hold, waiting for the docking ports to open. Through the view window, they could see the station bulkheads open and then shiver the shiver of Mariah's doors opening under Gia's influence. They revealed a powerful-looking short woman with close-cropped, tightly curled black hair and a deep blue uniform. Her boots were immaculate, her uniform tightly pressed. Her face was still and narrow-eyed, narrow-eyed and shockingly sharp cheekbones jutted out in brutal black slashes against the brilliant whites of her eyes. Eli Isla Weaver, she said. What the hell do you think you're doing? At the precise, commanding tone of her voice, both TK and Luke stood up a little straighter. Eli did not. Hi, Mama, he said, flinging himself around her and giving her several big, noisy kisses. Did you miss me? Part 2. Goddamn useless boy. Chief McIntosh said grumpily, settling the whole crew in her office. She'd made TK... Mama, how long are you going to complain about that? It was one little explosion years ago. And you'd said the ban was going to be temporary. She dropped coffee cups uh, in front of TK and Luke and then dropped into the chair behind a very wide desk. I'm not upset about the explosion, you fool child. I sent you to Kunihiro to learn some responsibility. After your fool father couldn't teach it to you. And instead, the first time in years you come home, ten years, boy, you come dragging an illegal grow house prostitution clone, a supposed-to-be-dead cyborg, a wanted police officer, and a mother-blessed stolen ship onto my station. What did Kunihiro do to you? Now, Mama, that's not quite fair. I mean, Kunihiro gave me the ship. You can totally ask him about that. I will. Don't you think I won't call him Isla? Ugh, Mom, please don't call me Isla. Why? It was my mother's name. It's good enough for you. It's a girl's name. I know it's a girl's name. You got a problem with your grandmother? No, Mama. Sorry. It's better. Chief McIntosh took another survey of the group and shook her head. And now you're wanting my station master to put together some data reconstructions off-grid, and she tells me you're on the run from corporate. She leveled a glance at Luke. You. You seem more competent than the rest of these basket cases. Explain. Chief, Luke said, you gotta understand, there's something fucked up in corporate down on Rigel. This thing, he tapped TK on the back, has all kinds of data that I think is going to tie corporate to some kind of engineered disease plague thing. It's a profit-making scheme that poses a real public health hazard. But you know how it is, stateside. Corporate controls everything. Food, drink, money, time. Oh, we had to go someplace where we could see what was happening, and the only place we could think of was Cygnus. Chief McIntosh leveled a critical gaze at her son. You running around in things you shouldn't again? No, ma'am, he said and thrust a thumb at Luke. I was just banging this guy, minding my own business. Then he disappeared. Then me and uh, his partner, Cyborg, found him in a recycle facility about to get chewed into little tiny pieces. He gave her a sunny smile. Then Kunihiro gave me a ship and told me to come home to you. She looked at Luke. You sleeping with my kid? Luke cleared his throat. Well, yes, sort of, I guess. He shot a helpless look to Eli. Eli pretended not to notice. We haven't really talked about 
us since, you know, conspiracy and certain death things happened. But yeah, he dropped his hands to his hands. Yeah, probably. She steepled her hands in front of her face. Oh my, Eli. Gia, honey, what have you found out from the data dump? Everyone except TK jumped a little when Gia's voice spiraled out into the room. It seems pretty clear-cut, Chief. What does, kiddo? Chief oriented herself to face one of the open walls as if she knew what was about to happen. Show me, please. Obligingly, Gia threw up an animation stitching together several of TK's memories and obviously generated from Luke's investigation notes. Gia displayed one of the many bodies that littered the streets on Rigel's City of the Sea, one of the many bodies TK had assisted at the hospital. She zoomed in closer, closer to the skin of the man, deeper into his brain, deeper still to magnifications hundreds of times possible with light, and threw up a twisted, shimmering blob of protein. This is E-N-T-E-S-E-E, -E -E, she said. It's a similar mutation used for clones to allow them neurological linkages, superhuman healing for implant installation, and chemical resistance. It's also similar to the genetic retrograde virus that's been recognized in causing sensitivity in humans. This strain, however, is purely pathological. Note the amyloid scarring in the brain and the holes in the white tissue. This man is suffering from a transmissible prion disorder. But Station Master, said TK, Transmissible prion disorders have been known for generations, and ever since Project Sunflower, several treatment therapies have been approved for use. Why are all these people still dying? I don't know, said Gia. They shouldn't have to. You're right, there are several therapies available that could cure these people. However, Gia stopped and threw up a number of documents that made Luke sit up in his chair with attention. Mr. Casper, your records indicate that Rigel Tau corporate profits were plummeting due to a population explosion and inability to produce enough foodstuffs with their current green technologies, especially because of the harsh conditions on Rigel. The lack of water and limited availability of raw materials meant that Rigel Tau Corporation had to import the majority of its foodstuffs. Is that correct? Yes, nodded Luke. And then they just started making money out of nowhere. So much money. Money that went everywhere. Every department had a corporate office. Every federal building suddenly had corporate support. And corporate just took over every function, every politician, everything. Gia threw up another map image. The rise of poverty during this all-time high corporate profit should have decreased. Instead, the highest death rates ever recorded were reported last year to federal authorities. In fact, over the past seven years, ever since Mana Gutierrez took over the CEO position, death rates have accelerated to previously unheard of numbers. Poverty is at an all-time high. Luke nodded so hard he almost shook in his chair. Yes, yes, this is what AR9 and I were finding, everywhere. Little red dots started popping up on the map, triggered by the years, as Gia moved the digital clock forward. The number of recycle facilities increased almost 400% in that time. The red core also swelled to almost three times its previous clone count. Gia put up an image of nutritional supplement 4B. Additionally, all corporate offices and holdings transitioned to supplying nutri nutritional supplement 4B as their main source of food for all employees. Production of this material increased at a corresponding 400% rate over the last four years. <laughs> yes, chatted Luke. That's it. They're using industrial byproducts or something and putting it in the nutritional supplements, selling it back to corporate employees. 
Mr. Casper, based on the information in TK's databases and the information you have provided, I believe they are using clone in human bodies as the main ingredient for nutritional supplement 4B. I believe they are using the recycling centers to actually process raw organic material for the supplement, and I believe they are using the modified prion disease to increase poverty and disease levels to farm out raw materials for the supplement. Luke stopped. Yeah? It makes sense, said TK, nodding. That's how they feed clones, you know. They just grind up the old ones and make a nutritional slurry for them. But we're already infected with the prion, like Station Master said. We have to be in order to make it through the grow process. And they probably couldn't farm enough clones to support the additional human population. Feeding dead humans would allow the disease to spread easily and provide ample raw material for expanding the nutritional program to human supplements. Gia dropped the animations and brought the regular lights back up. Eli gagged and stared at TK. You knew they fed you the bodies of other clones and you still ate it? She cocked her head to the side as if confused. Of course, clones would never get actual food that could go to real humans. Cyborgs especially would never get access to that. She shrugged a little. It was just common knowledge. Resources are limited. Cyborgs are the bottom of the barrel and can make do with whatever synthetic material is available. All know this. It is a shame that normal humans don't have resistance to prion. That is sad to think all those people eating diseased human flesh. It's most unfortunate. But it does explain the number of infected and the reason that no one wanted to treat them. Eli swallowed hard and Luke sat back into his chair, shocked. Human flesh, he whispered? Diseased? He tucked his chin down as if he was going to throw up. This is not the first time the corporation has tried to reallocate resources like this. Cigna Station Master Robert was issued a shipment of contaminated nutritional supplements at the beginning of Project Sunflower Scandal and elected to ban all corporate groups because of it. Seems reasonable to me, said Eli, stealing Luke's coffee and swishing a gulpful around his mouth before swallowing. We've been drinking gallons of that stuff on the way here. I feel like we need to get checked. Luke gagged again. TK looked compassionate. I'm so sorry. I thought you knew. Chief McIntosh reviewed something that popped up on her desk. Gia had obviously sent her more information. Hmm. Looks like there are quite a few illegal clone operations happening on Rigel as well. She glanced at Luke. Are you aware of these? Looks like slavery to me. She watched the patterns of memories and reconstructions Gia produced for her. Prostitution of minors, illegal body modifications, toxic dumping into federal lands. Mana has quite a little collection of operations going down there. Luke nodded. We found some of them, but no one in the prosecutor's office wanted to go forward because they were all part of Gutierrez's operation. Shit ton of money. He looked at his hands. We started a resistance, but I guess now we know where all their money was coming from. Unlimited supply of dead bodies to sell back to people to kill them, to make more dead bodies. He shivered. I've got to tell Nine. The chief folded her hands over her stomach and looked thoughtful. Gia, honey, could you find me some regulatory precedent for intergalactic commerce? She glanced back at Luke. This is none of my business, Officer Casper, but I doubt your friend is going to be able to do much planet side. This seems like something for a federal prosecutor, one that isn't being bought by corporate. Dense text filled the screen on her desk and she exhaled a little. Oh boy. Gia, sweetie, cut some of that stuff out. I'm not going to read all that crap. I want to know if I can refer this to the first adjutant or if I can get a judge's order. Chief, said Luke, what are you doing? I'm not sure yet, Officer Casper. She reached over to pat his hand. 
Cygnus does have a reputation for getting involved with this kind of thing, though. Gia, I'd like to recommend these people for asylum, and I'd like to keep them in the Mariah, just in case we have to claim sovereign immunity from whatever bullshit those corporate legal dogs are about to do. If I don't have them technically on station, they are still technically temporary lodgers, which means I don't have to cooperate with corporate bounties, and I don't want to cooperate. Another set of documents popped up on the chief's desk. This one was shorter, much easier to read. Ah, thank you, Gia. Now, she stood and turned to look at them. I got a festival going on tonight. Try to enjoy yourselves. You, lady, chief pointed to TK. You need to find some clothes. I can't have a seven-foot-tall android walking through the streets scaring people. Stay out of sight. And you, she looked at Eli and sighed. Come by the house. Your father will want to see you, and I at least want to talk with you a little before some corporate assassin comes to kill you. You come too, she said to Luke. Yes, ma'am, he said obediently, with a sidelong look to Eli that the chief promptly noticed and scowled at. Do not be difficult, he said. No, ma'am, he said. TK t wrapped a blanket around her legs more comfortably as she settled into a chair back on Mariah. The lights flicked on, and she knew that Gia had followed them into the technical into the technical links. Station master, she said softly, do you need something? That boy, said Gia in that rough modular tone. The little boy, Shadow, I saw what you saw. Was it real? Yes, you already asked me that. Don't you have rape and abuse on orbitals? No, said Gia. I see everything. Everything? TK let doubt creep into her voice a little. Are you sure? Yes. The whine and noise from the station interference made TK rub her head a little. Chief McIntosh had draped her in some kind of blanket or sheet thing with a hood and shooed her back to the ship just as the festival was starting to begin. And she couldn't say that she was that disappointed. All those people. And Eli was right. She was a monster. So much bigger than everyone around her. She didn't even fit through the doors here. People stared at her. It had felt like being a brown cop again, her uniform making her a target. Station Master, I still have an AI link available. Would you mind just talking to me through it? The noise is disturbing me. Of course. Gia's voice sounded surprised. Not many people want me in their implant, you know. I just assumed that you wouldn't. Oh, no, I don't mind. TK smiled up at one of the cameras she knew Gia was watching through. You remind me of someone that I think I used to know. A little girl with brown hair and blue eyes. Or maybe they were brown eyes. TK reached out a long arm through the tiny kitchen to one of the interface ports built into the wall and extended a manual link for Gia. I'm sure you could easily break the security codes for remote connection, but why don't you just use this? she said lightly, tying into Mariah's computer system and waiting for the station master. She wasn't disappointed. She was back in the forest. A single train of sil silvery water slid down the side of the mountain. The air smelled like flowers. Iridescent butterflies flit around her. One lit on her shoulder, another on her hand. It reminded her of something or of someone. From far away, as if she couldn't quite remember where, TK held up her hand, seeing smooth brown skin, 
no hydraulics, no blue-black radiation protection. They looked almost human. Gia stood next to her, tiny and petite. Her hair was gone, and rivulets of quicksilver metal shone through her skin. The metal changed color, green to blue to purple to red to white and more. TK looked away from her colors and the intense blue eyes burning into her and around at the world she had created for them. What is this? she asked. The station, Gia shrugged a little. At least how I see it. TK bent and ran her hands through the grass at her feet. This is all your data input from your sensor system? Gia nodded. I've never gotten to show it to anyone before. Her head cocked to one side as she considered TK. I thought you might understand. Is it okay if we talk here? Of course. Gia tugged the big woman down to her knees so she could look at her face. I can see all your memories. Your mind tastes like metal. Yes, I'm part machine. Me too, said Gia. Does it hurt? What? Being human. I wouldn't know, Station Master. Does it? You can call me Gia. Okay, Gia. The girl pressed her hand harder against TK's face, hard enough that her pale skin seemed to merge with TK's darker, and the clone imagined she could feel Gia's ghostly fingers rummaging around in her mind. But she wasn't afraid. What are you looking for, Gia? Something I don't know already, murmured Gia. Something I haven't seen. TK, there's so much in here. She gasped a little as if something had hurt her. You've been reformatted so many times, but there's so much organic computing left. It's like, it's like a whole unexplored world. Is it? asked TK, delicately extracting Gia's hand from her temple. She didn't mind the invasion, but she was a little nervous for Gia. Can you access the organic material? Oh, yes, Gia breathed. Oh, yes. TK, do you want me to reintegrate you? Someone has threaded firewalls and security codes all through this. It doesn't taste like federal work, and it's very sloppy, but I can fix it if you want. Do you want to remember everything? Do you want me to reconstruct your past? TK sighed a little and finished pulling Gia's hand out of her skull. You already downloaded everything you can see into your archive, right? Gia nodded. No. No, I don't want to remember. I don't want to see any more of that. I just want to move forward with what I have. But TK... Gia, I'll make you a deal. You can access any of my systems whenever you want. You can even put a continuous sensor in my head if you'd like to. Just be with me. I get lonely, she said, smiling at Gia. I'm not used to being by myself. Luke and Eli don't understand, but you... TK squeezed her hand. You and I have a lot in common, I think. There was a soft bird call from somewhere, and Gia's metal skin flashed yellow. She froze, her blue eyes wide and unseeing for a moment. I have to go, she said. But yes, TK, thank you. Gia pulled TK down close for a second and brushed her lips against the tall woman's forehead. TK felt a sharp stab through her right eye, and then the comforting presence of the station master buried somewhere in her brain. Gia, is that you? She asked the little white space in her head that had once been her AI and had been empty for so long. Yes, Gia said. I'll send you home now. I have to go. Okay. TK blinked as the ship settled into its normal configuration around her, and she was once again in the tiny kitchenette. 
Kajia, have there been warrants issued for our arrest? TK asked gently, not wanting to disturb the station master, but also wanting to test the new connection. Yes, I've just received notifications for you and Officer Casper. Huh, not Eli? No, she answered. How interesting. Part 3 Gia let her consciousness wing through the digital space of her station, feeling the festival starting around her. Drums, music, laughter, all of it flooded her senses. Normally, this was her favorite time of year, and she reveled in the explosion of feeling and experiences that washed around the station for weeks at a time afterwards. But this time, it was almost too much. TK's brain dump, the Mariah returning with all that data, and now this. Well, I'm not bored, she thought in wonder. Not even a little bit. And when did that happen last? The bird call had been Hadar. He'd sent her a message. She treasured any message from any other station master, but Hadar was special. She'd looked up to him and had for years, ever since he had helped with her initial installation and shakedown test. Normally, she was too shy to ever dream of reaching out to him, but today he'd given her a message, something that he normally only did on her birthday. To Cygna Station Master Gia, from Hadar Station Master Rue, Happy Lunar Festival, little sister. We haven't heard much from you lately. I know you're out in the middle of nowhere in Cygnus, but are you doing all right? I've seen some messages going out on the Comtex that are a little disturbing, and I've seen some flight patterns that are pretty unusual. What are you doing out there? There's a rumor or two floating around that you have wanted criminals on your decks and that there's a sensitive bounty hunter coming to claim them. Is this true? Gia, what have you gotten yourself into? I felt a sensitive pass through Hadar myself, I don't know if it was coming to you or not. The flight plan was wrong and the ship's registry didn't match, but I wanted to warn you. Whoever it is, it's powerful. Whatever gift it has and whatever it's doing out here this far, very strong. Be careful. She submitted a distinct, a non-distinct reply and then forwarded the message to Chief McIntosh, taking over one of her entertainment screens in the chief's residence to pop up with her avatar. Excuse me, Chief. Uh, she had interrupted them at dinner. Four surprised state faces stared back at her, including Eli's. He's still so handsome, she thought, briefly remembering when they'd first met and he was still a boy. She noted that her body parameters were out of balance and adjusted the chemical flow to her physical form to adjust for whatever the spike was. I've received a notification from Hadar. Would you mind taking a look? The chief wiped her mouth and seemed to give the screen a long-suffering look. Gia, what did we talk about? Boundaries, right? You can't just open communication screens in people's houses without telling them. Oh, I'm sorry. But she didn't feel sorry. She felt she felt something else, but the sensation slipped away from her before she could identify it. She absently registered the change and put one of her AIs on an analysis. Could be useful for something in the archive record, she thought, as Chief read through the letter agonizingly slowly. How do humans get anything done? They're so slow. She tried not to look at Eli, but she liked the way the light reflected off his skin, and his cheekbones were as sharp as his mother's. They made him look like a sculpture. Interesting, said Chief finally. I didn't realize that corporate was cleared to use sensitive for private industry. I thought they were federal assets only. Maybe they are, said the man. Dr. Ignatius Weaver, Eli's father. Gia could see the similarity. 
While Eli's face and mannerisms more closely resembled his mother, his lean figure strongly resembled his father. It wouldn't be the first time that corporate has had trouble following the rules for its own benefit, he said. Hmm, was all Chief had to say. Gia, I've reviewed the regs. You can't initiate cause against Rigel Tau Corporate. You'll need a judge and federal prosecuting office to take the case from Seoul with approval of the first adjutant. Gia threw up the consolidated report she'd built onto the wall screen for the chief. I went ahead and started the request. Average wait time for processing is six to ten weeks, not including the message transit time. Well, that's disappointing, muttered Chief. What's up, Mama? asked Eli, shoving something solid and green into his mouth, spraying a little with the words. Seems your friend there's a wanted man, and they've sent a sensitive to come get him. A powerful one, if the Hadar station master is to be believed. She tapped out an authorization code onto her forearm, and her eyes got the unfocused look most people got when they used their implants. Gia shut off the wall screen display. Hmm. Gia, I think you'll be the only one able to recognize this person, if they do make it to Cygnus. Gia didn't respond. Chief, I don't suppose I can get a message to Rigel anytime soon, said Luke. Is there an encrypted pattern or anything I could use? I've got to tell my old partner about this. Luke was partially standing up, body tight with intensity. The clone? the chief asked. Yes, ma'am. Mm, Gia can help you, I'm sure. Until then, you and Eli get yourselves down to the medical labs for sweep first thing tomorrow. She stuck a fork into whatever they were eating. We'll want to make sure you don't have this prion thing and that Cygnus won't get whatever's eating Rigel. Gia disconnected from the family and soared into the medical databases to see if they had the appropriate testing and treatment mechanisms. They did. She sent a high-priority message to the chief medical officer, but was pretty sure that Dr. Weaver would be able to take care of it. It was all done far too quick quickly. She felt so alive. Her circuits practically tingled. The feel of the festival in her bones and the rush of adrenaline from Eli and his crew swirled around her, waking up bits of herself she hadn't felt in so long. Finally, something interesting to do. She settled herself for the long data stream at light speed toward Rigel Dow 4. Gia opened her eyes into her forest image of the station. The river ran clear silver. The trees whispered with tiny variations in the sensor data stream. Small chirps of birds and other forest animals registered critical function status of oxygen, materials, vacuum integrity. She took a deep breath and co-opted a couple AIs into her consciousness. Immediately, two hounds appeared in front of her, big floppy ears, loose tongues, skin that was too loose hanging over their bones, giving them perpetual melancholic expressions. Rigel Tau 4, corporate server, she told one. Get. The hound ran off. Web interface. Feed me a dead cat, she said to the other one. This one paused. What is it, she asked it. The dog whined. Gia formed her own special access codes into a treat and fed it to the hound. The creature gave a tiny yip and then barreled off into the forest simulation. Gia stepped into the dark, deepest part of the river, the true dark web, where you couldn't see the bottom. The stream of communication and information that would branch into published feeds, private communications, encrypted data, any bit or byte of data produced or used by her station came here. She could feel the steady upriver current of the official server and the long, thin, green strands of organic growth that meant someone was accessing alternative data sources. She stuck her fingers in those green growths and let her, mind's li let her mind liquefy. 
to match with their dark matted finish. Time and space seemed to meld together, and she swam on matte green wings through water that rushed and stuttered over information rocks. It pooled around stations and planets and swirled with new streams the closer she got to civilization. This was true subspace, the place underneath reality where light and matter came together and disintegrated, the echoes of digital worlds melding with the shadows of physical ones. She formed her body into the shape of a dolphin as the river deepened, widened, and finally spat out into an ocean of sensation. Rue had told her to be careful here, in the place where all information met. The Akashic field didn't like to let anything leave. Manipulating it, and more importantly, leaving it, could be complex. He'd shown her enough, and she was a quick study, but she could see why he'd warned her against coming here, and especially coming here alone. The information was intoxicating. All information, digital, physical, real, imagined, was translated into this ocean of atomic vibrations that ex echoed against her skin and her ears. She could taste sunlight and hear rainbows of physical constants. Relationships, mathematical and personal, rippled along the vibrations like wave currents, each tying to each other and propagating in complex waves against submerged rocks of universal constants. Time flexed backwards, forwards, superimposed itself all around her, and she was simultaneously existent and non-existent. Tiny and unimaginably large, infinitely connected to all time and space, and yet profoundly, cripplingly isolated. Heisenberg's uncertainty equation, she just realized dimly. That's what I'm experiencing. Oh my. Each place the waves met, Gia could see complex whirls and eddies, spontaneous information generated out of the interacting quantum signatures, like foam spray on the ocean. She was simultaneously part of the water, the air, the foam, all things, as they erupted and fell away, though she couldn't see what information each actually represented, only the effects of the interactions. Gia? The sound of her name condensed her back into her dolphin form, snapped her back into one reality. She was in the ocean of the Akashic field. She was looking for Rue. Not the air, not the foam, not the light. She had a physical form. She existed. Time went in a single direction again. Hello, Rue, she said, understanding that she had already seen this interaction and done this as time sandwiched her perceptions and then lengthened back out into a vector. Rue understood. Even as she morphed back into herself, she saw his form stabilize, mirroring hers, morphing back into something semi-physical. She'd called him out of his station, and he needed to be something to talk to something that coalesced the field into the ocean around them that was the first visualization he'd taught her all those years ago. Welcome, he said. Catching some waves today. He said it with a smile in his voice, although he'd taken the form of a great humpback whale. The words sounded like their signature, like singing and seemed to stretch on and on, rippling through the Akashic Ocean. Yes, she said, confused to hear her own voice coming from everywhere at once, rippling with the thousands of different voices all slightly out of phase. I need information. And you have it, he joked, motioning slightly to the environment around them. Even that small movement made the water ripple, and she felt currents moving around her in the information spectrum in response. Are you lost? He sang the words in his humpback voice so she could hear them clearly. You are a little young to come looking for me like this. You could have just sent a message. 
She tried to imitate the single unified voice that he had, modulating and rippling the quantum signature to harmonize with him as she unconsciously shifted to whale form as well. Yes, no, I need to find someone. AR9987F, she sang, and a man who uses the dead to feed the living and shapes the planet Rigel Tau Four. The song pulled the images out of her mind, out of her mouth, without words. Long gong tone ripples out in the place long gong tones rippled out in the place of words, reverberating around the field. Sympathetic vibrations opened up in the water around her, creating little water spouts that spat the images from TK's and Officer Casper's memories, clear physical representations in the water. I see, said Rue. I see. He spun, his powerful flippers crashing atoms together and forcing a surge of information current that rippled and spat foam above the surface of the ocean, and she could hear the crash of the propagation wave against the shore beyond as he wheeled towards a large rock in the center of a deep trench. Follow. This is Rigel Tau Four. The music caught her up, and she flowed next to him as the current pulled her closer to that rock, seemingly of its own will. As they approached, Rue flexed into a tiny crab and del lit delicately on the rock, carefully avoiding touching as much of the surface as he could. Still, small flecks of grit and dust clouded the water. Rigel Tau Four, he sang in his tiny voice. Try not to impact it too much. She shifted her form to a diatom, tiny, tiny creature, tucked up in its crystalline shell, no bigger than one of the flecks of dust Rue had shook from the planet. He followed her, and they drifted down closer to the surface. Why are we here? he asked, curious, as she extended her senses, trying to find Nine, and the man from TK's memory of a dark cell and a punch in the face. My friends are being hunted, she sang. Sad, but that's not a reason to shape the field. Why are you here? I need information. Well, we all need information. It's not a reason to shape the field. Why are you here? I want to help them. Ah, he said on a sigh, as once again Gia felt the memories and reconstruction she'd built out of TK's and Casper's life manifest, swirling in physical currents that Rue sucked up into his shell. It's a threat to the balance. Yes, she said. Wait here. He disappeared, shimmering out of existence without touching a single atom, without dislodging any molecule. Without any trace of his passing, he slipped out of existence and then snapped back to her in a flash. Rue? she asked. What? It's called tunneling, dear, he said. I can show you how to do it later. Just wait. A heartbeat, or maybe a lifetime later, another figure popped into existence. This one looked like a fairy dragon from a child's story. She had gossamer wings, blue-green skin that shimmered like mica dust in the sun. She looked like a winged serpent with delicate jaws and feathers that grew along her back up to her wings. Huge black eyes with starlight blinking in them stared at Gia, and the girl unconsciously felt herself morphing to match the shape with her own avatar. Gia, meet Etsley, Rigel Tau Station Master. Hello, said Gia, impressed. She'd never met another station master besides Rue before, and this woman oozed power in a way she'd never encountered. Every move and thought were so controlled. The water around her didn't move or twitch. There were no unexpected currents, no dislodged bits of stone or churned-up dust, only impossible stillness and control. Until she spoke. Her voice sounded from everywhere, but somehow Gia knew it was echoing inside her, not in the field, like Rue's singing. 
It was as if the woman was speaking to her through her own cells inside her body, a million miles away, but heard effortlessly. Welcome, little sister. It's a shame we haven't gotten to meet before this. Yes, shame, stuttered Gia. She suddenly felt very young, young and incompetent, which was an unusual feeling for her. I'm sorry to bother you. Oh, not at all, Gia, not at all. You're always welcome here. The dragon woman gave Rue, sea creature, an annoyed look. Rue should have taught you better. We didn't realize you didn't know how to visit us. Your education of the new station master was lacking, Hadar Rue, she said. Rue bowed his head a little. Of course, my mistake. Gia, Etsley is one of the oldest station masters still with us. She's even older than your predecessor. She was one of the original sensitives bound to an orbital, and she manages all four planets here in the Rigel system. I hear you've discovered something I've missed on my fourth world, said Esli. Something major. Yes, ma'am, said Gia, trying to feel not trying not to feel too intimidated. She carefully bundled up her findings, her need for nine, TK's images of the man in the cell, and handed all that bundle to Etsley. The information disappeared in a wisp of color into her body like inhaled smoke. The dragon woman hissed an exhale, and Gia felt the current shift violently around them. Unacceptable, Gia heard. The woman grabbed the rock Rigel and started to squeeze. They do not deserve to exist if this is how they are going to treat each other and the planet. Etsley, wait! Rue grabbed the woman's claw. Please, Etsley, gentle. Etsley narrowed her eyes and glared at Rue, and Gia felt her own, side, her own insides curl up and try to crawl away. But Rue didn't move. After a moment, she let out a small sigh and released the rock. This is not the first time we have had trouble, the corporation and me, she said finally. I don't know how they managed to keep this from me. I may have overreacted. Gia, child, I'll take care of this. Tell the humans to follow through with their laws and their procedures. She hissed a little again. I will take care of this new poison they've dumped into my bones. Thank you, ma'am, said Gia, frightened beyond words at the other station master. I'm sorry about this. Don't be, snapped Etsley. And come more often. You need better training, since you are so young. The dragon woman disappeared instantly without disturbing any of the other currents of information around her, just like she'd arrived. Gia let out a breath and saw Rue smiling at her. There's a reason I didn't introduce you earlier, he said. She's a little intense. You needed some stamina before meeting your fellow station masters. I can see that, said Gia. She shivered a little. Are they all like that? Rue nodded. Pretty much. I'm the weakest and the second youngest next to you, and the closest. All the other station masters are very powerful and old. Very, very old. What happens now? He shrugged. Whatever you want to have happen. Etsley will clean up her own planet. You don't have to worry about that. If she decides it's necessary, she might just wipe it clean and start over again. I hope she doesn't do that, though. He stared into the dark ocean around them. We'll have to do something about her if she goes down that path. It's not a pleasant notion. Gia stared at him in wonder. I had no idea, she said. And you shouldn't. This is only your fifth year. We didn't want to overwhelm you while you were still getting used to being bonded and all the interface requirements. You should go home, he said after a moment. Can you find your way back? 
Yes. No, I'm not sure. But Rue, what about the sensitive coming to me? What about him? What am I supposed to do about him? I don't know. You seem vaguely surprised by the question. It's your station. What do you want to do about him? I... Rue nodded when she stopped and couldn't think of an answer. Just relax when you go home. You'll feel him. It will be your decision what happens next. He folded back his shell and reemerged as a human, touching his thumb to the center of Gia's forehead. Look, here's the tunnel. In front of her, a black corridor like a pipe, like she'd been compressed down to something tiny and dropped down a straw, and she emerged in Cygna space, her consciousness tied to her border sensor net. Home. Something tingled against her digital skin, something new in the information net that she hadn't felt before. Pain? Maybe? Is that what this is? A distant alarm shrilled somewhere in her mind, and she moved her senses to the cause. A man stood in her control room, next to her body tank. She could see herself floating, still and peaceful in the blue-green nutrient mixture. He was tall, but stooped, as if his spine was bent subtly just below his left shoulder blade. Something about him seems familiar. Gia activated the interior cameras to see him more closely. Blue-tinged, pale skin that seemed far too cold, even wisping tiny smoke trails of condensation in the heat of her room. Silver hair and a still expression that matched her body's own, as if he had forgotten how to make expressions, or as if he was fashioned from ice or something other than meat and skin. Hello, Gia, he said, somehow sensing her in the security system, or else just making the assumption that she was there. It struck her as unusual. Not many people knew what station masters were, much less thought to talk to them, or knew their names. Oh, I know all about station masters, he said, almost laughing to himself, hearing what she didn't say out loud. She felt another shiver. That's why he's familiar. He feels like another station master, except... Oh, Gia, I know things you wouldn't believe if I told you. He laid a tank, a hand on her tank, and instantly thin tendrils of ice scored down the glass and the thick fluid within began to crystallize. Stop, said Gia through the room's alarm system. Stop, you'll hurt me. The man shook his head and the air warped and quivered as more of that strange cold condensation twined around him. Uh, no kid, you'll thank me for this. I won't, I'll be dead. Stop, you're killing me. Yes, yes I am. It'll be easy. Don't worry. She could feel the cold eroding her connection with her body, weakening the interface with the station. One by one, the connections to her sensor fields failed. Access to robotics and server sy servo systems failed. Communications, environmental, and the cold was starting to burn. Abruptly, she lost the security system access and for the first time in five years, opened her own eyes in her own body. She tried to cry out, but the fluid was in her lungs, and too thick to talk through. Her body felt sick, tiny, fragile. She couldn't see the infrared or violet spectrums. She couldn't see anything as the man kept dropping the temperature, and the gel sucked all the heat out of her skin. She could feel him almost reaching down into some place deep within her, scooping out her nature, like a black hole in person form like a structural anomaly that she had seen years ago. Her soul. Spaghettifying. Stop! She tried to scream, but her body and mind weren't responding. 
The man seemed to be saying something outside the tank, but she couldn't hear him. There was a pause, and suddenly he slammed his fist three times in quick succession into the glass, breaking the vacuum, severing any remaining electronic or mechanical connection to the station itself. The gel was solid now. She could barely move her eyes as he came back to stand in front of her and placed a big hand where her forward wa forehead was, trapped behind the now frozen fluid. You'll thank me for this, his voice said in her mind. Trust me, death is a release for people like us. No, no. Her mind battered at the blackness, at the void, as she felt her eyes freezing over, trapped open and unseeing as her biological systems failed just like her station ones. Her mental thrashing started to weaken. It would be so easy to give up, to give in. Wait, TK. That connection was a remote, person-to-person -person private signal. It wasn't connected to the station. It was a connection between just her and TK. She tried to calm herself and reached out mentally to find that AI system she'd converted for use, felt it like a heat signature in her brain. It was still active, and she still had enough neurochemical juice to get there. She focused her mind and poured herself into TK, filling up all the space with her memories, self-consciousness, burying herself into the woman's inorganic implant and secondary computing processes like a rabbit disappearing into its warren or a child pulling blankets over itself to hide from the night. Don't let him find me here. Gia? TK's whisper of welcome and safety was balm. Gently, she re-engaged sensors and saw that she was in the Mariah, watching the feed of one of the Lunar Festival events through TK's eyes. She could see the big woman's boots up on one of the fold-out chairs and see blue-black skin hands resting in front of her. TK, she shouted in her mind. He's here, the sensitive. He did something to me. I don't understand what. She paused for a moment, showing TK the memory, almost like a gift. I think, I think I'm dead? TK didn't respond. Her boots came down, and she sprinted through the docking corridors as if she was possessed. Well, she sort of is, thought Gia. What if I can't? She cut that thought off. As TK ran down the corridors, Gia automatically searched for the station connections that were now closed to her. Something wailed in her mind to be so isolated, and she felt a wordless rush of comfort from TK, as if the android knew what she was going through. She probably does. Still, I can't see. What's going on? The station shuddered, and as TK turned to leap up on the pedestrian bridges toward the market level, Gia, through her eyes, caught a brief image of the dark man idly slamming his fist into the metallic structures holding the walkways together as he sauntered through. Never liked this place anyway she thought she heard from him as he kept breaking down the foundational pillars. Security officers flooded through the lower levels, but all stopped and just dropped when they came within a certain distance of the man. Raw, open black holes seemed to suck the life force out of them and spiraled outward like a spiderweb from the man himself. Run faster, Gia urged TK, showing her an image of what was happening underneath them. I don't know where he is, but he's scary, and we can't stop him. Gia felt TK nod and put on another burst of speed, arcing through the air and leaping from bridge to bridge to make it down into the market level. Chapter 5, Void Space Part 1 Eli hopped off the medical bed and adjusted his biosuit back to comfort as the AI ran its blood through the prion detection protocol and beefed at him. He peered at the readout and then made his way over to Luke's bed, throwing open the curtain and admiring him. How's it going, handsome? You dying? Luke gave him a sour look and pulled up his own biosuit. 
What the hell kind of question is that? What if I'd been positive? Would you lead off with that? Well, you aren't, right? No, I'm clean. Eli shrugged. There you go. Always live in the moment is my motto. Besides, I knew it was going to work out. You're just too pretty to die. Eli tweaked his nose, delighted when Luke shoved him away. Oh, you're so shy. It's cute. Will you please focus? Luke headed out to the medical bay, Eli following. We got shit to do here. Like what? Eli asked innocently, stopping to sniff the air and tug Luke towards something in the opposite direction. Gia's going to tell Nine about stuff. TK can kill anything that comes after us. Jesus, that woman is a monster. My mom is going to handle the whole legal, criminal, law thing, whatever. Let's just relax. Eli grabbed a pastry from one of the food vendors near the garden and tried to pop it in Luke's mouth. Luke shoved it back out. Eli shrugged and ate it himself. You're missing out, buddy. I can't just sit here and eat pastries. There's got to be something we should be doing. Something we need to, somewhere we need to be. Anything. Something. Chill, man. Just enjoy the moment. Eli found one of the cafe tables and dragged Luke over to it so he could sit with his feet up on one of the chairs. Look, it's a beautiful day. Sort of. I mean, it's always day. But, you know, here it is. Lunar week. All this good food. All this nice music. There's a parade tonight. We should go. It'll be fun. Luke glared at him. Can't you take anything seriously? I am, I promise. It's just, uh, what are you going to do? Mope in Mariah because you pissed off corporate or something? No way. Enjoy yourself. Mom will find that bounty hunter and just take care of it. She's the best. Easy for you to say, mumbled Luke. He's not after you, and my mother isn't the chief of police. A waiter dropped off biscuits, and Eli ordered coffee and something that sounded like a waterfall. What is, what is that? Coffee? It's a brown liquid that, oh, shut up, Eli, the other thing. Oh. Eli let the water fall out of his mouth again. Yeah, it's a Catalan thing. Some kind of frozen vegetable shake. It's very refreshing. It's supposed to be great for your mental acuity. Order a double, then, said Luke. Har, har, Mr. Grumpy Pants. You're harshing my vibe here. I am sure you'll recover. Eli was pleased to note that Luke did seem to relax a little, ordering something to drink and starting to look at the crowds around the orbital level with curiosity instead of animosity. Good thing, too, he thought, gratefully taking a sip. Son of a bitch was scaring the villagers. You okay? Eli finally asked when their coffee had been delivered and Luke was finally starting to act like a human being and not a scared animal. I mean, I know we're not exactly friends, I guess, or whatever, but if you want to talk about anything, I'm here. Shit, I got it bad for this guy. What is wrong with me? What's that saying? You always end up with your parents? Gosh, no wonder Mama liked him. Look, Eli... Here it comes, Eli thought, holding back a groan. Why do I always pick the 30-something emotionally unavailable dude with a gun? Every goddamn time. I sure know how to pick him. Eli, I like you, but frankly, I don't have time to be worrying about you and me and whatever. We've got a job to do, and I need to make sure it gets done, and I honestly can't see much beyond that. But, you know, I really appreciate you digging me out of the recycling facility with Nine. You didn't have to do that. And getting us off planet and <clears throat> he cleared his throat and his skin turned darker. And, you know, you're a good guy. I wouldn't have kept hanging out with you or whatever if not, so, so yeah, just, just ease up a little, please. I'm not really a relationship sort of guy, you know. I didn't think you were either. 
Eli gave a little false laugh to hide the nice knot that had formed in his chest and gave a loose wave. Yeah, yeah, all pilots are sluts. I totally understand. He pointed a spoon at Luke in mock seriousness. It's very classist of you, you bastard, and I expected an officer better from an officer of the law. Fine, upstanding boy like yourself. Eli's smile faded a little as he turned away, though, and he gave a little sigh. Well, at least it's festival week. I can stuff my face and go dancing tonight. If Mopey McMopeface hears him, he'll let me have any fun. God, fucking responsible men is such a drag. There was a disturbance at the far end of the marketplace. Eli stretched out his neck to see, and to avoid looking at Luke. A seven-foot monster of a woman was sprinting through the orbital streets, looking for all the world like a black avenging angel coming for them. Shit, Luke. But Luke had seen her. He leapt out of his chair and wrapped a hand around Eli's wrist to yank him up, too. Get to TK, he said, shoving Eli in front of him. Whatever happens, stay next to TK. The station shuddered. The whole level dropped with a sick sound of failing metal. People went to their knees as something wrenched the level gates open. Emergency bulkheads slammed closed as vacuum breach was identified by the AI somewhere. Alarm klaxons rang, and steel-on-steel steel grinding echoed through the big chamber as bridges and walkways shook under some invisible force. Luke, what the fuck? It's insensitive, it has to be. And whoever he is, he's a fucking monster. Luke gave him another shove. There was no warning, or no lead-up. One moment, Eli was getting towed toward TK by Luke, sprinting through screams and alarm klaxons. The next moment, the world went totally and completely silent. Frozen stillness. He and Luke stopped. The man in front of them was lean, old, or he should have been old. There was something almost young about the way that he moved, and something interminably ancient about the way he stood there. Greetings and salutations, he said almost jokingly. He stuck a finger at Luke. You're wanted by my current bosses, and I've got a reputation to maintain. Luke swallowed a little and pulled Eli back behind him. Look, we don't know you. This isn't your concern. You're not corporate, right? We've got... The man shrugged and let his head drop to one side, emphasizing his crooked spine and almost painful stance it put him into. Shut up, man. I do what amuses me. Killing a station master, securing a fed and a runaway combat android sounded amusing. I don't care what you did. But it wasn't them, said Eli. It's corporate. They're poisoning people and feeding them dead bodies and... Don't care, said the dark man. Same shit, different era. It all looks the same to me. He gave a long sigh and looked down at the slammed bulkheads and emergency evacuation pathways lit up in emergency lights below them. Cygnus. Always fucking Cygnus and Hadar. God, I hate these places. We never should have come out here. Then leave, said a new voice from behind them. The dark man narrowed his eyes and then gave a tight-lipped smile to the new figure. You must be the android. TK, glad you could join the party. I love a woman who appreciates efficiency. You don't love anyone. You're not capable, said TK. The dark man's smile faded just a little, as if he hadn't expected any level of insight from her. It's a good thing I didn't ask your opinion, he said, glancing around at the station, still ringing with these emergency bulkheads and alarms and whatever else damage he'd gotten in. You know, I really hate these stations. They just rub me the wrong way. As he spoke, his skin began to glow, almost translucent, and the temperature dropped until frost and ice crystals crawled up the ruins of tables and storefronts. TK didn't wait around. 
She grabbed Eli under one arm, hooked a filament-fine filament thread out from her back, and anchored it to the nearest pillar, wrapping her other arm around Luke and fell off the side of the level. Gia, can you help us? TK's thought echoed around her. Please? If I hit the ground, the boys will be badly injured, and I'm not sure that my old implants can bear the weight. We might all die. Please help. Gia felt them falling, felt TK's body shivering with cold and with the reaction of falling off the railing. The feelings of trapped, terrified helplessness roiled up in her, and for a moment she was back on the Mariah, watching her daddy pulled through the hull towards a black hole. No, 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 no. Time stopped. Gia was back in her forest. This time it was winter. Snow creaked under her feet as she stared at the frozen river of information. She followed it with her eyes to where she knew it met the Akashic field. What do I do, she thought. She closed her eyes and folded the forest up into a tiny packet, as if she'd grown wings or expanded to the size of a planet. From above, she soared to the ocean, leaving the station behind. Even as she watched, a great black hole opened up in her woods. It gnawed at the formerly pastoral setting, consuming big chunks of it, just like her dream all those years ago, expanding and expanding until she could feel whispers of that deep cold against her wings. Please, Gia, can you help us? TK's request echoed in her head. She threw herself into the vision of the bird, a kingfisher, and dove deep, deep into the ocean, the field where all things were one. But where do I go, she thought, unmoored, flexing against all the information that ever was or will be where time stopped. What do I do? Rue, she called into the dark water. Rue, I'm lost. The waters flexed around her. Current shifted and reverberated her voice back to her thousands of times. Ripples and waves crested and reached at the surface, but no one came. She was alone. She reached out fins and spun, a whirlwind in the dark, trying to find the place that Rue had showed her, a tunnel, a singularity that led to all places. And in a moment, it snapped up around her. An image of her father, Tendaji, swept into her mind. Home was all she could picture as she gathered up the bits that were her and her friends and the Mariah and flung them all down through the blackness. I want to go home. Eli wasn't quite sure what had happened. TK and the sensitive were talking, and then they were falling. He had a single moment to think, oh no, as the station ground level rushed towards them, a moment to cringe and throw his forearm in front of his face and instinctively try to lean back against the artificial gravity, and then, poof, they were in Mariah, on the floor, safe, no imminent death lined up. TK dropped him and went to her knees. Her eyes were white empty. Eli tapped her shoulder, but she didn't respond. He pried Luke out of her other arm. She had been holding him so tightly she'd cut off the air supply and Eli had to stretch him out along the floor to press two fingers against his carotid artery and lean his ear next to his mouth. Pulse, no breathing. Eli extended the other man's jaw and forced his breath into Luke's lungs. Wait five seconds. Breathe. Another big breath, and he waited for ch Luke's chest to rise. It did. Luke coughed and pushed him away lightly. What? And then the world spaghettified. Sight and hearing stretched in impossible ways. Eli felt his body breaking apart and rematerializing infinite times. He opened his mouth to cry out, but the sound echoed around him before he'd made it and competed with the words Luke was trying to say in hideous, distorted cacophony. Light split into component spectra, and instead of sound and matter, he could only see waves of energy crashing around each other, around him, through him. 
For a moment, or maybe for eternity, he heard and saw all things mashed together and split apart over and over again. In the big bang, the big crunch, repeated at scales his mind couldn't comprehend. Shapes and light fragmented into infinite dimensions, all folded in on one another, and then stopped, frozen amid chaos. And in a rush, reality snapped back into place. TK slumped to the floor. Luke was curled into himself, holding his head. Eli glanced to the Mariah's view screen. A completely foreign, beautiful planetary nebula swept out before them in a riot of green and gold reflections off interstellar ice crystals filled with metals. A supernova in the distance belted out visible radiation that tinged the dust red-gold. The navigational array beeped red. Holy shit, breathed Eli. We're out of map space. Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. No one seemed to appreciate the ancient cliché. Part two. Jason Conrad surveyed the ru- Jason Conrad surveyed the ruins he'd made of Cygnus Orbital with some level of mild satisfaction. Fucking slain o- slave owners, he thought. Binding a sensitive like Gia here. It's criminal. She'd impressed him, jumping into that android and then pulling a tunnel singularity out of her butt like that. The girl has potential. Most of these station masters don't have a personality left once they get done wrapping their heads up in interfaces and drugs and brainwashing. I underestimated the kid. My mistake. He smiled a little. Not much surprised him anymore. It had been 60 years since the last person to surprise him had died. She does remind me a little of you, Sing. I needed some spice in my life anyway. He dragged one of the few non-ruined chairs over to what was left of the balcony and sat resting his forearms on the frozen metal, chin on his forearms. Alarms were still blaring. Oxygen was still leaking though most of the emergency bulkheads had restored some of the vacuum stability, and regular life support was slowly coming back online. He glanced down to the security officers two levels down. Most of them seemed to be waking up as well. He tried not to kill people unless he had to. He sighed a little and shook out his shoulder. Getting rusty. I don't think I killed anybody. Sloppy motherfucker that I am. He stood up and flung himself, careless and unconcerned, off the balcony not bothering to try and slow his fall. He landed with a crunch of bones and agony that knit itself back together in seconds as he folded himself up back to standing. Shame, kid, he thought, heading for his ship. Gave you a gift back there that you should have taken. Who was it that said that death is a release, not a punishment? Sure wish someone could release me. He relaxed and let his body lengthen and merge with the shadows along the damaged station walls slipping past emergency crews and security forces undetected, except for a hint of cold, and rematerialized outside the blast doors to his ship. He calmly jammed one of his fists into the control panels and leveraged the doors open to lead into the unsecured hole. Hold. The ship was a mess. Barely able to fly, he kept it around mainly to feel like he belonged somewhere, but he wasn't a great pilot. Electrical wires hung down from old maintenance problems he couldn't fix. There was barely any life support, little heat. Not like he needed it. The engine worked, and worked well. He'd gotten clients over the years to pay for the privilege of a fast ship with a decent autopilot AI system. The usual flash of warnings and system failures greeted him as he activated it and started the launch procedures. He flipped up a small lever on the side of the main pilot console and activated the other system that worked on his ship, the weapons. Two quick internal shots separated his ship from the docking clamp, and he broke the internal seal himself with a plasma welder, 
not bothering to actually save the vacuum, just cutting off the docking clamp's internal seal and slapping two plastic patches to the broken door as the AI took them away from Cygnus. Finally. Hate orbitals. The interface lit up expectantly, waiting for him to punch in a destination. He tapped his lips, considering. Now, if I was a scared freak baby from a backwoods orbital station with no family or friends and the personality of a wet rag, where would I go? He brought up Gia's file and scanned through names, places, historical records, until something caught his eye. Kunihiro. Her father is Kunihiro Prost? Where have I seen that name before? He flipped open the briefing file his contact had given him and scanned through the basics again. Nothing. He did an open search on the web, and... Oh, there you are. Field master on Rigel Tau, huh? Conrad snapped his fingers again and laid in the Rigel system coordinates. Kids always run back to their parents when there's trouble. He woke to feel a familiar presence occupying his ship. Etsley, he said out loud. Good morning. I hope you brought coffee. One of his communication screens flared into life. A thin voice echoed out of it. How dare you show up here again? Where is she? Who, he said, playing dumb and stretching out of his bunk. Gia. Gia, Gia. Nope, Conrad said. No recollection of a name like that. He pulled on the loose shirt and pants he favored. No biosuit. I live in hope that radiation poisoning will finally kill me one of these days, he thought, catching a glimpse of the old fabric jabbed in the bottom of his bunk. You're lying, the woman said. You tried to kill her. We all saw it in the field. Did you? He said, unconcerned, as he yawned and padded barefoot to the kitchenette to find something worth eating. All there is is that nutritional supplement for crap. I'm not surprised it's made of dead people. Sure tastes like it. Etsley, why are you bothering me? Just go wallow in your all-seeing knowledge and bitch about it with your other station master friends. What did you do with her? Hissed the avatar on her screen. And why are you in my space? He shrugged as she snapped from screen to screen, trying to stay in front of him as he headed to the cockpit. He settled into the main chair and put his feet up on the console, opening a newsfeed on his tablet. Maybe I just like seeing the sights. Rigel has tourism, right? No, she said. It's an industrial colony, as you know, and the orbital is for medical personnel only. Right, he said. So that's why all those corporate fat cats get special apartments up there. It's for their asthma, I would imagine. Faceplates probably make their skin itch or something. You don't know what you're talking about, she said. Oh, of course I don't. He took a small suck of the nutritional supplement. I mean, it's not like you're running a diseased cannibal system where corporate profits are more important than poor people. It's not like that at all, is it, Etsley? You're working for corporate, too. You don't have any right to judge me. Yep, he took another suck. Because, honestly, when you're over 100 years old and can't die, what else are you going to do? He turned the page. A man gets bored. You could have bonded, Jason. Taken one of the stations. He laughed out loud. Oh, no. No, no, no. Fuck that noise. He pointed the straw at her avatar. Look at you. You're a slave. You're a brilliant god wrapped around all those little ants' fingers. You can't even touch that monster you got up in your orbital. The one grinding up criminals and poor people for shakes. He gave the can a little swish at her. 
because you're too afraid of breaking rules. Cygnus brought federal charges against him, she murmured. It's out of my hands. We're not supposed to interfere. Of course you're not, he sighed, suddenly even more bored than usual. Etsley, was there a point to this conversation? You're just a corrupt old bitch. I mean, just accept it and move on. Like, we don't have to talk about it anymore. I want you to leave the girl alone. Nope, he said, turning back to the newsfeed. No can do. Why? Why? I like her, and I don't have anything else to do. And that android she's got with her gave me the slip. First one ever to do that, he flipped the page. Now it's a matter of honor that I find her and... He made a throat-slitting motion. The android or the girl? Etsley asked. Conrad shrugged. Both. Either. Whatever. I don't have much else going on right now. Promises to be entertaining. You're a fucking pig. How do you call yourself a sensitive? Conrad gave her a droll look. I don't call myself anything. You people keep telling me that. And I never claim to be a good guy. Again, you fuckers just keep assuming that all sensitives are goody two-shoes. Gotta admit, I never saw the appeal. You've got so much fed and corporate brainwashing fucking with your head right now, I doubt you know which way is up. And you're so tied into your own station, you probably can't even let your citizens take a shit without recording it in your precious archive. What are you, Etsley? What are you? Do I seem like the type that would be into that? Leave the girl alone, she said. Nope. Go away, old lady. Or at least tell me where I can find Punahiro Prost. An android named AR-9-something and your precious corporate overlord. You know, the one that you work for. The one that's making your life so much better. There was a staggered pause, and she blinked, blanked out of the communication screen. That was unusual. He leaned down towards the console and stopped reading. Very unusual. In a moment, she snapped back. I have no idea what you're talking about, she said, as if she had never left. You're a liar, he said. You freaks can pick out a single person, no problem, especially if they've got implants. He put the tablet down and jutted a chin towards the interface. Tell me, what's the deal? Why are you in on it? I'm not telling you anything. I just wanted you to leave the girl alone. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. You find me that corporate guy that hired me on the secret. I'll go talk to him. We agree that he doesn't need the girl. Everybody's happy. What do you say? Well. Technically, I'm not supposed to know that he had you hired. I know, sweetheart. It would make him look bad if anybody found out. No one's going to find out. I just have to have a quick chat with him about the girl. She goes off the list. I go hunting for the android and the fed, okay? Girl's off the table. I don't know. The fed is probably trying to get in touch with his old partner, AR9. You could just let me know where to find that guy. Or the resistance that they've got against your corporate fat cat. And I'll do my best not to look too hard for the girl. He gave her a toothy smile. Or you just give me them both and we're all happy. You, you promise? You're just going to make sure corporate drops the hit on the girl. Cross my heart and hope to die, he said, drawing it on his chest, lying. Absolutely. Good God, he thought in horrified admiration when she honestly seemed to believe them. What do they do to these people to make them so trusting? So innocent and naive. This is why good people die first. There's no sense of self-preservation. Way too easy to corrupt. Okay, she said, flashing him tracking identifications for the implant monitoring. Outstanding, he thought. 
You got it, ma'am, he said, touching his forehead. Just the android and the fed wants me and corporate have a talk. He mentally rolled his eyes. What a fucking farce. Mana Gutierrez's office was nice. Had a nice big conference table in it. A lot of glass, real wood, and real coffee. Not the synthesized crap the other kids planet side got. Conrad ran his finger along the desk and peered out of the drapes to stare down at the interior of the orbital. He could see the bustling levels of commerce, residential, and the comforting big radiation shields that protected them from getting fried by Rigel Kantaris's harsh light. The orbital megastructure sucked it all up and powered factories, spaceships, corporate monsters. God, I hate orbitals. Floating slave ships. Maybe prison ships. He felt a whisper of a presence behind him and turned with a smile to greet Mana. Morning, boss, he said congenially. I don't believe we've been formally introduced yet. The man glared at him and glanced at the security system, still active that he'd disengaged to get into his own office. How did you get in here? Conrad dismissed his question with a small frown and a little hand motion. Oh, don't worry about that. Sort of my thing. Hey, Layla says hello, by the way. He took Mana's chair and waved the man towards one of his guest chairs. Have a seat, why don't you? Take a load off. Let's chat, you and me. Mana didn't sit. At least he's smart enough for that, noted Conrad approvingly. Get out, the other man said. Nope, said Conrad, putting his feet up on the Mana's desk. He wasn't sure why people hated it so much when he did that, but it seemed to universally offend pretty much everyone. Mana didn't seem to be an exception. Look, I don't know who you are or why you're here, but... Oh, of course, how rude of me. Conrad slapped his forehead theatrically. I'm Jason Conrad, the spook, your friend, Layla. The one you asked to hire me to kill a kid, a clone, and a cop you didn't like. I can see why you'd be confused, though. You did have that lovely, lovely clone speak for you. He made a tisking noise. Look, I don't want to tell you how to run your business, but if you keep letting women like her run your show, you're going to end up hurt, probably sooner rather than later. I don't know what you're talking about. Mana was a little paler than before, and he edged towards the glass door as if he was going to try and make a run for it. Conrad flexed his mind just a little and flowed up from the floor in front of Mana, blocking the door. Sure you do, and I hear a rumor that you're doing some dirty work that no one in legal can pin you for. Is it true? I'm sorry, I can't discuss pending litigation with anyone, stammered Mana. Oh, I'm sorry too, buddy, because when I checked your case files, you know what I found? I found that you'd put a whole lot of money into the Fed Justice Department here and at Seoul, and that someone was actually dismissing the case against you. Did you know that? You lucky scuds. Mana was shaking, which amused Conrad, since he hadn't actually done anything yet. Kids these days, he thought, getting nervous before the scary shit shows up. Amateurs. Conrad leaned against the door. Yep, congratulations, my friend. You would have gotten away with it. But then you hired me, accidentally. Well, you didn't, and Layla has Mwah, the best taste. He smiled. And just in case you haven't figured it out, I do not follow directions. I cannot stand corporate fucks like you either. It's been a problem my whole life. Significant authority issues. His smile died, and he reached into chin. He pressed a hand to Mana's chest, letting the temperature drop as he sucked the life out of the man through his heart. Quit fucking with people, he hissed, 
as he opened the black hole that was his gift, pulling the man's life force out inch by inch in the most painful way he knew how. He pulled until the cold froze his skin, until Nana was a mummified husk held up against the glass. Someone hit a security alarm somewhere, and he sighed a little with irritation and let Nana's body drop to the floor. Such a pain in the ass, he thought, lengthening himself and slipping into the shadows of the air ducts and the ventilation systems. And this is why we can't have nice things. Let's go talk to that nice boy Nine and see what he has to say for himself. Feds. <sighs> They're either all corrupt or useless. His memory flashed briefly to another Fed he'd known and loved and shied away from it. Shay. It still hurt. Well, no use crying over the dead, anyway, he thought, as he made his way out of the building and reformed in the shadows of one of the alleyways next to the rail station. That was years ago. You'd think I would have gotten it over by now. Gotten over it by now. Nine's implant signature led him to the lowest level of the fourth planet. Smog and death covered the dust around him as he strode through the ruins of what might have been streets. Once. Debris and bodies almost indistinguishable in some cases, littered the alleys. Conrad felt disgust and contempt for the vaulted station master's skills flowed through him. So this is what Etsley traded her soul for, he thought, watching these people die by inches, playing a digital god near aquarium. The thought made him spit into the morass of darkness around him. He checked the manual tracker in his pocket. He should be right around here. He looked around. Well, there isn't anything... Ah. He looked down. A thick metal grate was under his feet. He pried open the lid and stuck his head down. Immediately, his senses were awash with the feel of death. Moans, sobs, and metal-on-metal -metal screeches echoed through the chamber. He pulled his head up and secured the gate grate back into its original position. Ooh, sucks to be you, bro, he thought, checking to see that, yes, R9 was in fact down there. And I don't want to talk to him that much to go slogging through all that crap. Poor son of a bitch. He switched over his navigation and typed in Pilot Guildhall. Might as well go visit Gia's daddy. I don't know who you're talking about. Kunihiro stared down at his hands as he talked, and Conrad rolled his eyes at the boredom of it all. Of course you don't. Look, Kunihiro, I know you're Gia's dad. I want to find her. Is she here? No. Who are you, anyway? I'm a sensitive, like her. There was an accident on Cygnus. She may have been hurt. I'm here to find her and make sure she's okay. You're lying, said the old man, looking at him with steady, clear eyes that made Conrad like him immediately. Yes, I am, he agreed. After a brief pause, Kunihiro said, I'm not telling you anything. Well, you don't have to. Conrad stretched out into the blue chair, chair Kunihiro had invited him into and put his hands behind his head. Didn't you used to have a ship? Civilian transport type? Kind of an unusual model, right? Named Moriah, if I'm not mistaken. A converted Catalan freighter, complete with neural link. Kun's head snapped up a little. How did you know that? Conrad gave him a placid smile. I used to fly with a woman named Akasha Singh. Ring a bell? Kun leaned back in his chair and blinked in stupefied wonder. But that was years ago. You look so young. How? No idea, Conrad shrugged. The gift does strange and mysterious things, buddy. He stretched a little. 
I do know that your dead husband got that chip from my old girlfriend, so that makes us kind of like family, right? Toon frowned. No, that chip was Ten's cat's grandparents. Speed in the deeps. Not Akasha. Conrad yawned. Whatever. Singh gave it to Speedy. Speedy gave it to your boy. You got it when Hubby kicked the bucket, and then it ended up on Cygnus with Gia. Who'd you give it to? Gia got a boyfriend? No. Are you sure? Yes. Cooney, Cooney, Coon. What's the deal here? I just want to know where Gia is. I might not even kill her when I find her. I haven't decided yet. Why don't you help me out and give me a little clue? No. Boo. Conrad leaned forward so he was half lying on the chair arm, staring at Kunihiro. Don't worry, man. I'm not going to kill you. It ruins the fun if everyone dies. I have to have some challenge to make my miserable life worth living. Give me a clue. Lie to me. Do something interesting. Kun shook his head. I don't know where she is. We don't talk much anymore. Ten's death was hard on our relationship. I honestly can't tell you anything you don't already know. Conrad let his head fall to one side and reached out to touch the man's feelings. He was telling the truth. He let out an explosive sigh and stood up, startling the older man. The other man. Fine. You're a good dude, Kunihiro. I'm sorry your husband died. That's shitty. And I'm sorry your daughter became a federal robot lady genius slave. That's also shitty. He took a brief look around. You gotta get off this planet, man. You're too good for it. Oh, and don't drink nutritional supplement 4B for a while. Why? Just trust me. Conrad gave him an idle wave as he scooted back from the desk and headed out towards the stale, dead air of Rigel Tau Four. Goddamn pit of a planet. He let his head fall back to see the crowded walkways and vertical city blocks stretching far beyond mid-level and could just barely pick up the, up the upper sections and even an orbital elevator leading to the station. And Etsley. Fucking station masters. Can't trust him. Where are you, Gia? three. Eli knelt next to TK and shook her lightly. She didn't wake up. Her eyes were tinged with the flat white aspect that he learned to associate with androids communing with servers and other arcane digital experiences he wasn't capable of. Capable of. TK, T, wake up. Are you okay? He leaned down close to her, close enough to feel the tiny exhale of her breath against his cheek and could see the infinitesimal rise of her chest. He got up and went to Luke, kneeling alongside him and repeating the process. Luke seemed fine, just asleep, unconscious. As Eli held his wrist, his pulse seemed strong and consistent. He shook him hard. Luke! Wake up, handsome! Are you okay? Luke's eyes fluttered a little, and he came too. Eli helped him sit up as he rubbed his forehead. The hell was that, he muttered feeling around his throat, exploring the bruising that TK had left around the sensitive skin. I don't know, said Eli, but we're in the middle of nowhere. We're out of food. I'm pretty sure something has broke real deep within Mariah. She's making some pretty bad sounds. The girls? Luke asked, immediately answering his own question as he saw TK still laid out on the deck. Gia? Eli shook his head. No idea. She wasn't with us. Shit, said Luke. I've never met a real sensitive before. That guy was scary as fuck, supplied Eli. Yeah, scary as fuck. Luke attempted to get to his feet and reeled a little with dizziness. 
Eli steadied him. Easy, buddy. I think you might have banged your head, and there's something screwy environmental-wise in whatever sector of space we're in. What do you mean? Eli stood up and moved to the view screen, activating the sensors so Luke could see the results on the big screen. This section of space is thick, sort of. Heavy. What does that mean? Eli shrugged. I'm not sure, but gravitational waves are all over the place. There are these big clumps of Higgs bosons and Hawking radiation that just come out of nowhere. And the external sensors seem to be hitting on organic molecules with every sweep. Organic molecules? Eli nodded again as Luke came to join him at the console to see for himself. He brought up the biomarkers in the medical database to show Luke the consistent emptiness of the search parameters. Computer can't identify them, and he brought up the star charts and, po and positional displays. More importantly, Luke, I have no idea where the fuck we are. None of this is on any of the standard star charts, and I feel like getting trapped in an organic soup a million miles away from the nearest recognizable constellation is not something the surveyors would just leave out. Organic soup? Eli nodded again. Yeah, none of our ionic engines work because the organics are clogging up the exhaust, and the friction of the soup is so high the ion isn't strong enough to push through it. The chemical thrusters all seem to have hydrolyzed and as soon as we materialized here. Eli brought up the chemical display. It's like someone dumped water in our gas tank, and the solar sail, he pointed back up to the pretty colors of the nebula, there's not a star to catch, and the waves are all random out here. He shook his head. I don't even know how we got here, or where here even is. Well, if we're this lost, maybe that sensitive will be just as confused, said Luke helpfully. I like your optimism, said Eli, just a touch sarcastically. Maybe if I had access to the neural link, I could figure something out, but all the manual controls are shit right now. TK moaned a little and sat up. Her blue-black skin was tinged with a shade of olive as she moved as, and she moved as if her head hurt. TK. Eli went back to her side, kneeling, trying to help her up. She waved him away and stood slowly, carefully bracing herself on her knees before making it up to stand. Thank you, Eli. I am fine. Would you mind activating the link for me? I'm not sure I know how. What? Eli froze in surprise. But you're not a pilot. Why do you want the link? She limped a little towards the con control console, favoring one side, embracing herself on the ship as she gingerly dropped into the pilot's chair. It is not for me, she said slowly. It is for Gia. Gia, said Eli and Luke simultaneously. Yes, I'm sorry. Eli, please help me activate this. I think we need to transfer Gia to something more complex than me. I feel like she's hurt, and my, my brains are not complex enough to provide the self-healing resources she'll need. She takes up too much space. What? Wait, said Luke. Self-healing? You have more than one brain? Wait, Gia's inside you? I do, and she is, said TK, fiddling with the controls, attempting to activate the neural link. I had a digital brain, an organic brain, and an, ag and an analog mechanical assist with standard AI implant. The AI and digital brains are offline, which is where I am storing of whatever's left of Gia. But the damage to her body and the station has done something to her that I do not understand. Perhaps if we were able to transfer her connection to the Mariah, she might be able to use the ship as her body instead and keep her consciousness from dying. Holy shit, breathed Eli. That can happen? I had no idea. Well, I don't know if it will work, Eli, but I would like to try. 
My connection with her has weakened, and whatever she did to bring us here has seemed to have damaged her. Please assist me. Yeah, yeah, of course, sure, said Eli, immediately activating the neural link interface and guiding the biofilaments to TK's head. Now, full disclosure, I don't exactly know. The filaments buried themselves into TK's skull without encouragement. Instantly, her body went rigid, her eyes white and empty. She jerked, and the environmental controls of the ship blacked out suddenly. Air stopped. No light. Not even the comforting hum of the Mariah's organic processes could be heard in the deep stillness. Well, fuck, said Luke. I sure hope some... The lights whirred back on, and the steady inhale-exhale of the ventilation system through Mariah's chitin organic skin restarted. <clears throat> TK slumped forward, still connected to the ship. Eli made a move towards her and attempted to remove the interface. No, 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 she said immediately, sounding exhausted. Please leave them. Gia is borrowing part of my brain to reestablish a new connection with the ship as a separate control center, and she's having a little trouble reprogramming the system to that independent center. Just give it a minute. Uh, sure, said Eli, slowly, slowly pulling his hands away from her. So Gia's still there? Still okay? Yes, but she needed more than me. Mariah and me may be enough. She opened her eyes. Do either of you have implants? Additional AIs? Both Eli and Luke shook their heads. Sorry, robot lady. Implants creep me out, said Eli. Me too, said Luke. She sighed. Fair. We'll hope it is enough. Gia was dying, trapped in a little white box. There were no furniture, no items, nothing but white walls, a white floor, a white ceiling. An inarticulate cry of claustrophobic terror tore out of her and she clawed at the boundaries. Trapped. There was no information, no data, no sensory input. Nothing but the hideously bare white walls and her own screaming mind. She could see her hands liquefying as she touched the whiteness, degrading, melting into nothing but light, and she scrabbled backwards only to hit more light. The light was everywhere. And it wasn't a white room. There were no corners, nothing to delineate up from down or anything, just burning, awful light. Gia? Gia, are you still there? TK's voice came from everywhere, and each word seemed to arc through her like electricity, speeding up her own translucent degradation. TK, help me. I'm disappearing. She tried to move, to struggle, but she no longer had a body. She was having trouble remembering her name, her TK. Nothing was real. There was just light, light everywhere. I see, said TK. Please try to be calm. Stand by for data transfer. But Gia couldn't be calm. She was trying to scream again, trying to move. Anything to hold on to a form, a substance, and not fall into that overwhelming white, awful light. A thin tendril of shadow crept around her, or whatever she was now. It was the tiniest thing, moving against the light coming for her. She reached out and almost wept to see that her hands passed right through it, but then she remembered she didn't have hands anymore. She couldn't weep. She was just light. She funneled herself into a laser, focused any atomic structure she had left into the shadow, let it encircle her, let her energy race through it, following first one and then thousands. She split herself apart, filling up all the dark spaces with her energy, flooding towards a central heart, a heart that had been empty for a long time. She could feel the connections rusty with disuse. The information transfer was clumsy, modified for a creature very different from her, 
but it would do. She would make it work. With each tendril she filled up, a new sense came online. She had a body. Her memories were safely stored. She had a database again. Sensor readings, internal and external, suddenly became eyes and ears. She flexed her organic skin and could breathe through the deep chemical lungs buried in her hull. Relief made her laugh, only instead of sound, she felt herself rocket forward in space. Startled, she opened her new eyes and tried to repeat the experience. Sure enough, she could see a wake of ionic radiation from behind her, and all around her she could feel thick organic molecules that glommed onto her metal skin, almost like they belonged there, like they were healing her. Experimenting, she inhaled and felt metabol metabolic synthesizers kick on using the organic molecules to produce repair components from her organic brain specification. I am a ship? She turned and banked and flexed, feeling the elegant heart shape of her metal skeleton. The ventilation system changed as she accelerated and decelerated. Internal robot servers, servos and repair systems kicked on as if they were living cells within her. She spun and wheeled, feeling how she could manually engage thrusters with a different chemical reaction controlled by the release of condensation along her hull, or how the environmental controls could be linked to the waste processing units to use that condensation for water or synthesized product inside her body. She shut them off and on again to test them. She felt free and powerful, and she launched herself forward to leap and dive through the nebula like swimming, glorying in the feel of space against her skin. Gia? Gia, can you hear me? TK? Yes, can you focus on the control room? Can you come and listen to us? Talk with us? Control room? TK sent her a metal imi mental image of a room, a cavity filled with people, levers, dials, viewing screens. Curious, she sent part of her consciousness to root around in her insides to try and identify it. Unused internal sensors suddenly lit up the way for her, showing her into the pilot's chair, where TK was still rooted the interface growing out of her skull like a carnivorous vine. That's silly, thought Gia. Why is she trying to use my connections like that? They don't control any of those systems anymore. With the thought, she severed them from TK, retracting them back into the control chair interface and moving them to dormant stage. She flooded her consciousness through all the human-machine interfaces, experimenting with communications, propulsion, turning things on and off, and finally taking over the view screens to present an image of her old self with one of the communication sensors. Hello, her avatar said to the group. TK was smiling at her. Hello, Gia. Are you settling in? Yes, thank you. She didn't recognize the men. Who are you? TK pointed to the smaller, lighter man. This is Eli. He's a pilot. He huffed a little and crossed his arms, sulking. Fat lot of good that looks like now. TK pointed to the heavier, taller, stockier man. This is Luke. He's a police officer. Hi, Gia, he said with a little wave. Would you mind not shutting off the environmental controls for a little while? Makes me really nervous. Okay, she said. Do I know you from somewhere? Yes, said TK. They were on Cygnus with us. They're our friends. Cygnus. Gia stopped. What's Cygnus? Oh, boy, said Eli. Oh, this is going to be a Charlie Foxtrot all over the place, isn't it? TK tapped in something in the command center. I downloaded a lot of my memories into the ship's archive. Gia, why don't you make a connection with that and see if it doesn't clear some things up for you? Okay. Gia shut off the view screen abruptly and sent herself winging through the ship until she found the command codes TK had typed in. 
With a thought, she opened up an unrestricted channel to part, to part of her consciousness to the database and the archive sections and drank in the information dump like someone dying of thirst in the desert. So much. A hundred years of data of memory poured in. Memory, memories from a Catalan with blue eyes and a bad temper. Memories of a woman named Singh who flew like she was dancing. A young Catalan, speed in the deeps, who connected Zer's own consciousness so closely with the ship, Gia could practically taste the shape of Zer's words in every log and action and ghost data stream buried in the organic computer matrix. Family. Tendaji. Her father. His memories in life were here, too. Not as strong as the others, but safe and precious. Gia felt the information settle into her like warm sunshine and wanted to cry. Gia, sweetie, can you not activate the fire suppression system right now? Eli's voice cut through her sorrow, surprising her. She mentally released her father's memory and focused on the interior of the ship, noting with a little concern that her emotional outbursts had triggered the fire suppression systems. Like tears, she shut them off. I guess I'm going to have to be careful what I feel, she thought absently again, running her consciousness through the new body. This might take some getting used to. So I guess this isn't the Mariah anymore, huh? Said Eli to no one in particular. I guess we're the Gia now, right, boss? The last bit seemed to be directed at her. Right, she said, through the speaker system. Welcome aboard the Gia, friends. I hope I figure out how to do this sooner rather than later. Me too, said Eli. Gia noted that both TK and Luke glared at him. What, he said, honestly bewildered. I was just agreeing with her. Gia, honey, do you have any more star charts in your database? Even partial data streams? Anything? Eli had been poring over their navigational and positional arrays for hours. Gia signaled her attention with a tiny image of her avatar sitting in the lower right-hand corner of the smaller view screen Eli was using to search the archives. Yes, probably. Here. She threw up a number of star charts written in a language Eli didn't understand, but that seemed to correspond to several major landmarks. Yes, he said. Look, look, that could be the pulsar, and that could be this nebula. He was shouting. Excitedly. What is this? Where did it come from? Gia knew he was referring to the star chart data. It's a fragment from a Catalan ambassador, ambassadorial file from the inaugural run of the ship. What? Eli stopped. This is a Catalan chart? Yes, he said. Although most of this data was corrupted by a self-destruct command, command given to it before it was captured and wiped for human adaptation, this was one of the few file fragments I could find that was mostly intact. Eli looked down at the display as if it was something either intensely precious or intensely dangerous. Does this mean we are in Catalan space? asked TK from the kitchenette. Well, it certainly looks that way. Gia, my love, would you mind mapping our current uh, position onto the nebula in this file and then projecting the nearest landmarks we can see onto the landmarks in the chart? She did, drawing up the new image in the view screen for everyone to see. Oh, wow, said Luke, coming up behind Eli to stare in almost wonder. That is a very long way from home. Gia, would you mind projecting Cygnus Orbital Station relative to where we are right now? Unable to calculate. Sorry, Eli. It's really, really far away. And I don't have an intermediary chart. Oh, that's okay, darling. Eli sat back hard into the main pilot chair. Well, here we are. Catalan space. 
So far away from home, even Gia can't give us a number. Gia, how the fuck did you get us out here? She made her avatar shrug on the main screen. I really don't know. I'm so sorry. I was just scared, and then we were here. Amazing, said Luke. Terrifying, said Eli. More practically, what are we going to do now, said TK. We'll need to resupply somewhere, and that sensitive is still after us. Ha! broke Eli. If he can find our way out here, if he can find us way out here, it'll be a goddamn miracle. Well, Gia got us here, and she's just a baby sensitive. This Conrad is an experienced pro, she said reasonably. I wouldn't be surprised if he had ways and means to track us even out here. Agreed, said Luke. Is it even worth going home? Can we even get there? asked Eli. Can't Gia just snap her fingers and drop us off at Cygnus again? No, said Gia, guilt lacing her voice. I really have no idea how that happened. And I can't seem to access the Akashic field like I used to. Something is, is different in me. Like something's blocked. Oh, fabulous. A constipated magical ship. Every pilot's dream, snarked Eli. Luke smacked him over the head. Ouch, he said, glaring at his boyfriend. No kidding. Be nice, said Luke. Gia's just doing the best she can. Okay, yes, fair. But dudes and dudettes, we need stuff. Eli counted off on his fingers. Food, water, redundant parts, actual navigational maps, a proper navigational array, subspace communication repairs. I mean, Gia can do a lot now that she's all transhuman and whatnot, but we still need the stuff. Gia, can you tell if there are any stations or hubs or points of civilization we could reach on these file fragments? I cannot, she said, but I think I remember my grandparent telling me stories about the Catalan. Maybe if I take another look at the Mariah archives, there'll be something about Catalan space we can use? Well, sounds good to me, said Luke. Not like we have any other option, grumbled Eli. Good thinking. Oh, I'm going to go take a nap. Eli stood and headed toward the room that he'd claimed. It was almost empty, very tiny, virtually indistinguishable from the command room, but he needed to feel his own space around him for a little someplace quiet. He was having feelings. Someone was tapping on his door. Eli ignored it. Eli, can I come in? It was Luke. Eli groaned and shoved his head more firmly in his pillow, rotating his face away from the door. No, go away. There was a brief pause and the door opened anyway. Eli threw the pillow at Luke and curled onto his side. Boundaries! I said go away. I'm sulky and tired and cranky, and I don't want to talk to anyone. Luke settled onto the bunk next to him, shoved the pillow back under Eli's head, and laid a hand on his hip. How are you doing? I told you, I'm cranky and tired. Go away. Luke didn't go away. Eli refused to look at him, squeezing his eyes closer together and facing the bulkhead. Everything was just suddenly too confusing, too hard, too overwhelming. Luke stretched out next to him and curled his body around Eli's. I'm sorry, he said. That made Eli open his eyes. He'd never heard Luke actually apologize or try to talk about anything that wasn't, well, you know. I'm so sorry. What was that? Did you just apologize to me? Is this the end of the world? Are you dying? Oh, shut up, said Luke. But he said it gently and wrapped an arm over Eli's chest to hug him. I'm sorry I've been such an asshole and that you keep having to save me. It must be really annoying. It is, said Eli, but he appreciated the faint hint of humor in the last part of Luke's comment. You're a pretty okay guy, though, so I guess I can forgive you. There was a long pause, and Eli actually felt himself starting to relax. 
He pulled Luke closer and settled into their normal sleeping position. I need to get rid of some of these clothes, he thought sleepily. Luke's a fucking furnace. I'm scared, Eli. He realized scared. I guess I don't know how to deal with that. Oh, you can't deal with it, murmured Eli. You just gotta go with the flow. Relax, there's nothing gained by stressing over it. Easy for you to say. Oh, not really. Here, move over. Oh, I gotta lose some clothes if you're gonna sleep here, said Eli, starting to strip off his shirt and pants, grateful that he hadn't gotten a new biosuit yet, and shoved Luke over a little to pull the blankets over them both. You're just gonna forgive me? Like that? Asked Luke, as if in disbelief. What's to forgive? Eli yawned. Just don't snore. I'm worn out. And no hanky-panky. I'm still annoyed with you. Luke didn't respond right away, and Eli had a moment of blissful peace, warm, safe, cuddled, and comfortable. Finally, Luke asked, Can I move in here with you? Eli cracked an eye to swivel his head around to look at the other man. You sure? That sounds an awful lot like commitment, and I thought you were allergic. I met your parents, man. That's a pretty strong signal. And I don't want to be alone right now. Eli... Eli rotated back around to face the bulkhead, smiling, suddenly feeling much better about the whole situation. Fine, but I get to decorate. Yes, sir, said Luke. Now be quiet, I'm tired. Luke wrapped him closer, and Eli let himself fall back into relaxation, feeling warm for the first time in weeks. Well, maybe things aren't so bad. There's something to be said for emotionally unavailable 30-something men who just don't want to be alone. Sounds pretty damn good right now, actually. Gia, god damn it, sweet pea, you have to stay still. Eli cursed as Gia made another hard to starboard barrel dive and accelerated through the seemingly never ending nebula with a burst of her chemical thrusters. Stop! Stay still! I need to open your environmental control panel. She made another sharp dive that pushed him against the engine compartment. Gia! The ship didn't answer. Eli tried a different tack. TK, tell Gia to calm down, he shouted up towards the command console. No answer. TK's in medical right now, said Luke, but let me see what I can do. Would you tell her to stop fucking moving for five seconds so I can open the panel without killing us all? All right, all right, relax. Don't you tell me to relax, muttered Eli, feeling sulky and abused. I like eating, but am I the mechanic? No, but evidently I'm the only one here not allergic to a wrench, so who gets stuck doing the repair grunt work on the chemical synthesizers? This kid. Ridiculous. Luke getting bossy, stuffing me down here in the dark. Gia made another turn, and this time she blanked all the environmental systems, throwing them into perfect blackness again. Gia! he shouted at the bulkheads. Bad girl! Sit! Stay! Quit trying to kill us! Shut up, called Luke from the command center. I think Gia might be sick. Sick? Yeah. Don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. Just stay down there and do your best to get food and water back online. Don't tell me what to do. Oh, give me a break, Eli. You're the only one who's mechanical. You like it anyway. Eli didn't dignify that with a response. What am I, a masochist mechanic? God defend me. He tentatively pressed a hand against the environmental control panel, waiting for Gia to flip out like she had been all morning and fling him across the room or something. But no, she was still calm. Lights and air whooshed back on. Oh, thank goodness. The synthesizers didn't seem to be connected to any of the recycle processing systems, and all the filters seemed offline or too old to use. 
He cracked one of them to see what should have been a healthy yellow slimy rectangle as a desiccated husk that fell apart as soon as he broke the seal on the housing. Well, fuck. He closed the system and stopped and stepped back up to the control center. Well, I tried to fix... Luke hushed him before he fully got into the room, and Eli sent the other man an annoyed glance as he flung himself into one of the console pilot chairs. Luke stood behind TK, his eyes fixed on the console display. TK was again hooked up to the link. This time her eyes were open, and her fingers were playing along the console interface. Luke motioned to her and whispered, Diagnostic. Gia told me she couldn't talk anymore, and her stomach hurt. TK is running a medical is running the medical AI program alongside a general diagnostic tool. What does that mean? Eli whispered to Luke. TK's trying to repair whatever internal system Gia fried when she went into the archive last night. We're not sure what the problem is. Oh, said Eli. He experimentally brought up external sensors just to see what was ship and what was Gia, and was pleasantly surprised to see that the manual pilot controls as well as the external navigation display were perfectly functional perfectly functional enough to see that they were, in fact, directly in the flight path of something gigantic. Um, Luke? What is it, Eli? Eli rotated the bigger man to face his station, a fuzzy mass of brown gold that looked a little like a manta ray and was so large that its size was literally incomprehensible, was rapidly approaching their position. Is that a ship? said Luke. Are we in a ship's way? Can you move her? Eli understood instantly. Well, let's find out, shall we? Sorry, darling, I just need to take over for a bit while you're under the weather. Eli activated the manual control interface and was pleased to note that Gia was just as responsive, if not quite as communicative as before. Her communication and neurological systems are offline, said TK softly. What does that mean for us? asked Luke. TK disengaged the neural link but let the diagnostic program continue running. No waste recycle. No food or water, limited environmental controls, though I essentially have her on mechanical breathing at the moment, so we have some time. <clears throat> Good to know, murmured Luke. He looked back at Eli's screen. Any chance we could use a subspace radio or something? I have a feeling we're going to have to talk to somebody reasonably quickly. Radio? asked TK. No radio, sorry. Um, guys? Eli saw the large ship bank slightly and then stop. Smaller reconnaissance ships, two of them, split off from the main body, headed towards them. We may not need a radio. Looks like they're coming to talk to us one-on-one. -on -one. Is there any way we can run? asked Luke. Eli tested a little of the propulsion and then glanced at the pursuit trajectory. Without Gia, I don't, I don't know how fast they are, but I'm going to go with no. Maybe Gia in full control could wind this baby up and get us out, but... Great. Luke closed his eyes for a moment, then... TK, do you have any weapons left? He moved to one of the lockers at the far end of the kitchenette and pulled out a bag of stuff. If not, here. Eli looked at him in surprise. Is that a bag of guns? Yes. Guns. Yes. Luke, why do you have a bag of guns? Because I'm an inherently suspicious and unlikable human being. TK, let me try and talk to whoever comes in first, but if anyone looks like they want to hurt us, feel free to eliminate the threat. Is that good with you? Yes, she said, kneeling down to sort through the motley collection of mostly crap Luke had put together. Although your equipment is not really the standard. I know, he said, grabbing something that looked reasonably dangerous. There was a sail. I see, was all she said. 
Gia gave a little moan that made everyone stare at the ceiling, as if that was going to explain what the weird, aching, almost human, mostly machine sound was. Well, that's creepy, said Eli. He glanced down at the external sensors and noted the tiny ships were very close to them, and sure enough, there was a thud as something attached to their hull, and another uncanny moaning sound from Gia. Eli carefully got out of the pilot's chair to ease down behind the front console, kneeling so he was carefully behind as much stuff as he could, wedged into an equipment junction. There was a moment of pregnant waiting where Eli seemed to be conscious of a lot of things all at once. Luke and TK moving together, unconsciously, but ready as both pulled up and activated their biosuits. The startling impact of the blast doors being broken apart. The rush of a failed vacuum that made Eli fumble for his own biosuit and hastily pull the hood and emergency oxygen flow over his face. And then nothing. It was all quiet. He peeked over the console deck to see three tiny figures in environmental suits standing in front of TK and Luke. Luke put his weapon away and showed the three figures his open hands. There was a pause, and then one of the tiny strangers pulled something out of its suit, closed the blast doors, and resealed them with a strip of what looked like moldable plastic. Once the air pressure had stabilized and everyone was feeling truly awkward and uncomfortable, the lead stranger pulled off its helmet to reveal a Catalan with ice blue eyes and white silver, hairless skin. It let loose with a torrent of words that spilled out onto the deck like a waterfall, all liquidy and rapid fire, and Eli tried to pick up a couple of the words. He'd almost been decent at it back when he was a kid, but either this was a different dialect or he'd forgotten everything because he couldn't make it out. There was another pause. Luke said gently, I'm sorry, but we don't speak Ilya. He said it again, the second time in a stumbling, halting imitation of the stranger's waterfall tones. His was more like a dripping faucet. The stranger narrowed its eyes in anger or confusion Eli couldn't tell. It opened its mouth. What are you doing with my ship? It asked perfectly clearly. And who are you? Humans from your own... Humans so far from your own space. Explain. Eli stood up, but Luke sent him an expression that made him shut his mouth and lean back against the equipment junction. It's a very long story, said Luke. I don't suppose you know of anywhere that can repair a six-sentient ship and that maybe could spare some food? We seem to have hit a bit of bad luck. It turned out that the giant ship the Catalan had come from was, in fact, their version of a station, only one that moved, and it seemed to be sentient, just like Gia. Is this where we got station masters? asked Eli quietly to TK and Luke as their newfound friends or captors escorted them to somewhere. No one was really sure about at least on their team. Did we just copy them from the Catalan? Must have, said Luke, looking around him in admiration. The giant ship was a living being. Its insides were chitin, cartilage, and some bone-like material that seemed to be infused with a metal, self-healing alloy that flowed up the center of it, just like red blood cells and bone marrow. Biological gardens, surface water, green things covered every aspect of the interior like some sort of moving, breathing indoor rainforest. The thing even seemed to have its own weather, with rain and humidity so thick it almost felt like they were swimming instead of walking through the insides of the great beast. Hey you, Eli called to their escort, the white silver Catalan with the startling eyes. Did we get station masters from you? The Catalan looked back at him as if he were in science experiment gone wrong, and then promptly ignored him, turning his back definitively. Luke punched him lightly. Hey, what was that for? Be nice, or better yet, be quiet, Luke told him, taking another glance around them in concern. Look, 
Everything I know about the cats says they're pacifists. The humans have been pretty shitty to them for years, and I've never seen a silver cat. Usually they're gold or black. This may be a different group of some kind, or maybe a priest, or whatever. Just be polite for like five minutes until we can figure out why it thinks Gia is its. And how we can get some food and not die, okay? Okay, okay, said Eli, I get it. But I've never heard of a Catalan not all about like the sanctity of life and peace, etc., etc. I mean, that's like their whole thing, you know? If religion, politics, and culture had a baby and it was all about peace and love, that's Catalan. I lived with the Monsignus, I swear. Still, just try not to be as much of yourself as normal, at least until we can get a resupply and figure out what's wrong with Gia. Fine. Bossy. You'll recover. You know, you've been saying that an awful lot to me lately. Chapter 6, Part 1 Conrad stretched himself out in Etsley's control room, making a chair and something more comfortable to sit in than just on the floor. Her wizened, broken body floated in its nutrient tank in front of him, and he had to force away a thick feeling of distaste and visceral disgust. So unnatural. And to think they wanted to stuff me in one of these after Singh died. He shuddered a little. Etsley hadn't noticed him, and probably wouldn't for a while. He'd noted over the years that sensitives were remarkably good at seeing things happening to others, but paid very little attention to themselves. They seemed to forget that they were, in fact, mortal, and had pesky things like bodies and physical needs. It made surprising them very simple. The steady beep of her electrical feeds and center sensor interfaces was pleasant, even if she was a diseased-looking monster of what had once been human. Between us and the clones, I wonder if there are any old-fashioned humans left, he thought idly. He pulled out a tablet to read, waiting for him, her to notice him. What are you doing here? Etsley's voice screeched around the control room after a few moments, shock and fear tinging it even through the speaker systems that she finally identified him in her room. Hi, he said, rubbing his eyes a little to clear them from reading. Do you miss me? Get out, she hissed. Even her physical body seemed to be trying to pull away from him in its tank. She felt it. He felt his eyebrows creep up a little. She must really not want me to see her. Don't worry, Etsley. I've seen plenty of naked old women before. You're not going to offend me. It annoyed and embarrassed her, like he knew it would. He could feel the temperature drop in the control room and repressed a grin. Oh, ho, ho. No, thank you, ma'am. Intimidation and ice is one of my specialties, darling. Get out, she said again but this time it held a hint of a question, just the barest offering of a loneliness and interest in another human being, sort of, in her space. He stretched. Sure thing, sweetie, just as soon as you find Gia for me. I'm not finding her for you. Come on, you know you want to, kid like that, all alone in the world, disconnected from your precious station master field thing. Akashic field. Yeah, that... I can't trust you, said Etsley, as if she was working through her decisions about him out loud. You killed Nana. He shrugged. Well, somebody had to. Now you can start scrubbing all your precious recycle filters to get rid of the prion. Spend some money. Nana was just slowing you down. Nana trusted me, she said. He told me that he could fix it, that it was the only way to keep the supplements going to people, and that if we stopped them, people would starve. Conrad nodded. He was probably right. Starve them or poison them or both. Either way, they're dead. Relax, Etsley. I did you a favor. 
but he trusted me. Nah, Conrad slunk back in a deep sigh. He was just using you, manipulating you so that he could keep the cash coming. You station masters always think people are fundamentally good. Why is that? Man, I was no good. I did you a favor, like I said. Now, why don't you use that big, beautiful brain of yours and find Gia for me so we can have a talk? No. I just want to talk with her, Edsley. You're lying. Why do you want to hurt her? I don't want to hurt her, he said genuinely. I want to help her, and frankly, something's not quite right with the girl. I don't know what you freaks did to her. Maybe she was too young to get hooked up, but I'm telling you, she's headed towards a meltdown. A meltdown? There was a pause, and Conrad could hear the rhythmic hum of the room again as Etsley processed whatever she was in pro- whatever she was processing. No. We haven't lost a sensitive in years. The stabilizing process works. Look, babe, I didn't say it didn't, but don't you feel it in her? He kicked down his feet so he could stand in front of Etsley's long-forgotten body, just because it felt better to try and talk to an actual thing with a face as opposed to the general control room. Instability. Something wild, broken, deep down. You felt it, right? No, said Etsley, but the word was almost a question. Sure you did. You're sensitive enough. Felt like the crazies, didn't it? Like she was one of those old-fashioned infected ones that went insane slowly. Back from when you and me were first out. But that's impossible. All the sensitive get MTSE exposure therapy. They're genetically modified for resistance. Yeah, I know, he said, his mouth turning down a little. That therapy was synthesized from my blood, he thought. You bet your ass I should know. But he put up his hands. Fine, fine. Then tell me I'm wrong. You've been in the field with her. You should know. Did she feel stable to you? Etsley didn't answer. She didn't, huh? That's why you and your boy over at Hadar didn't want her out in the world, right? She felt fragile. That's why Hadar wouldn't, tr- that's why Hadar wouldn't train her. Conrad leaned against the tank. Look, I've seen a lot of sensitives go bad. Put a lot of them out of their misery. I'm telling you, that kid's going to lose it. And if she's anything like Singh, which I think she is, by the way, then you're going to have a shit ton of problems on your hands. No, said Edsley faintly. Yes, affirmed Conrad. Tell me where she is, and if you're feeling foggy, build me a tunnel to get there, because my ship is shit. I, I have to think about it. I want to talk to the others. Conrad groaned. Even this damn governed by committee democracy bullshit, I'm telling you, that kid is going to melt down. You and your pompous, overachieving station buddies should be down on your metaphorical knees thanking me for taking care of this problem for you. I don't know if it was the nutrient supplement mutation or something genetic or a failure in the stabilization process, but that girl's going to blow, and she's got enough horsepower to pull half the sector with her when she does. Do us a favor, love. Let me take care of her. Tell me where she is. There was a long silence. Wait here, Etsley said finally. Don't touch anything. He held his hands up again, open palms. No, ma'am, no touching. Do you promise? Promise. He mentally shook his head. So goddamn trusting. What do they put in these nutrient juices to make these station masters so innocent? Conrad tried to focus on his breathing like he'd seen Singh do a thousand times before, but nothing happened. Etsley was waiting for him in the field to try and build a tunnel, but she didn't know how to bring him with her. You're a sensitive. Can't you do it? 
She had given him just a hint of scorn in her voice. This is kid stuff. Kid stuff, right. What did Sing used to do? Math, maybe? Fuck, if I can do that. I'm lucky I can still add. He gave a frustrated little sigh and opened his eyes. Etsley, I can't get into the field. What do I do? Just relax, her voice said in his brain, and he immediately repressed the desire to throw her out in revulsion. He could feel her moving around in his head, seeing things he'd seen. It creeped him out. Stay out of my head, woman, he said out loud, and tried to ignore her candy-bright laughter in his head. You can keep all these colors and senses straight. Why do these fools like this so much? He thought, even more uncomfortable with the way the words seemed to taste like colors and disturbing images flooding through his, flooded through his mind. I feel like I'm going mad. Stop resisting it so much, she said again. Relax. Let that switch in the deep part of your brain go on, the one that lets you do all of your stuff. Just flip it on. I usually have a goal in mind for that, he reminded her. I don't just wallow in it like you fools. Something about letting go made him very, very nervous. Try wallowing, she replied. You might like it. He had to carefully focus on not running away and screaming terror. He did not like this. He hated the feeling of being out of control, of the universe not doing exactly what he told it. Okay, okay, he told himself. Just relax. It's okay. Everything is okay. Anybody can do this. It's easy. Singh did it. Etsley does it. He could feel the tension ease in his mind, and as he did so, the colors, sounds, and everything intensified. It was like he was breathing starlight or sitting in the center of the sun. For a moment, it was fine. He flipped the switch. He could see all time and space superimposed on itself like deep water. Everything flowed together and apart in patterns he couldn't quite get a hold of. But even as he tried to reach his mind towards those patterns, the water changed to plasma, to flames. Superheated gases were all around him. The patterns broke, shattering in his panic. It's too hot. It's too hot. Mentally, he tried to scream, tried to escape, tried to pull out of the pattern, but he seemed to be trapped, and the chaos seemed to be responding to him, increasing, blasting out around him like an explosion. There was light everywhere, heat everywhere, as if all the energy from all the lives he'd taken all at once were erupting from his skin. Flame and energy of crucicating colors flooded through him, burning him in waves, like chemical burns, the auroras of the field lit over him again and again, battering him and drowning him in liquid poison. His skin was on fire. His brain was on fire. He couldn't see. He couldn't hear. Nothing but light and pain. Something in him was splitting open, as if he was trying to drink in all the energy, and it was filling him up too fast, a balloon about to burst. No! No, Conrad, stop! He could hear the words from somewhere in what used to be his head, but he was too full. He was ripping apart, and in his mind, in panic, he grabbed the field, space-time itself, and ripped, freeing a hole, a gaping mass of nothingness that he dumped all that heat and fire into. All the time and energy from a dozen lifetimes just let the colors flow into the void in the black hole, each wave taking a little piece of him as well, as the rip got bigger and bigger and bigger. It consumed everything. For a moment, he could feel Etsley being pulled apart. Hadar, all the stations stuck, sucked into the field. Time bent and broke under the pressure, and finally, finally he could see. He opened eyes in the void to realize the dark gash against the sky was him. Light years and light years of a black hole flexing space, breaking entropy. 
And for that moment, he looked through the tears, looked through the tear, to see Gia's face, tiny and pale against the gorilla glass of Cygna Station from a dozen years ago. But it was wrong. This is the wrong time. When are we? She was a girl, tiny, big eyes staring at him in the nothingness. And then reason collapsed into the blackness, and there was nothing more than the churning maw where Rigel and Cygnus Orbital had been. Part 2 Their host took them through the winding corridors that resembled nothing more than very shady old-growth arboreal forests with tightened floors. Even smelled like a forest, though there was less humidity on this level. Many of the cattle were icy silver shade and the, were the icy silver shade that their escort was, but there seems to be a greater diversity of colors, sizes, even language. Eli could hear several different ver versions of Ilya against his ears, versions that he'd never encountered on Cygnus. And to think, I thought I knew the cats pretty well. Evidently, he had been mistaken. They moved into a comfortable conference room looking location, plenty of furniture, or at least the cat version of it, some kind of food and beverage was on the table. Their host deposited them and headed out to one of the corridors with a burst of Ilya that Eli roughly translated as, be right back. This was accompanied by a mental image of the silver cat coming back with two or three others, all differently colored, to the room, and then everyone talking together. Luke nodded at the thing and must have sent back something useful, and Eli was briefly impressed. He'd never had anything talk directly into his mind before, and it felt uncomfortable, unnatural. At Cygnus, they always used the language, not the sendings. No thank you, he thought, preferring. The three looked around at their new temporary assignment. Eli, Luke, and TK were comfortably ensconced in what could have been living furniture, like tree roots grown out of the ship's floor in the exact configuration most suitable for a biped to sit in. Luke looked down at them before sitting. Convenient, was all he said. Eli was charmed. He shoved himself in and promptly scooted his butt around to test the comfort. Convenient? Luke, it's amazing. Look, look, it grows cushions. Cushions? Have you seen anything like this? TK had been very quiet lately. Against her big frame, the chairs looked comically small, like an adult sitting in a child's doll chair. The Catalan are very efficient people, she said delicately. I'm afraid my body proportions are slightly inconsistent with their design parameters. She glanced a little ruefully at her knees, which were shoved up almost to her chest, and she had to perch on the end of the chair since her hips didn't fit all the way in the seat. Your body proportions are inconsistent with everyone's design parameters, said Eli. You're fucking huge. Thank you for stating the obvious yet again, she said without heed. Although, Luke, I don't suppose... She stopped mid-sentence. Her eyes took on the white, empty look that meant she was trying to talk to Gia. Simultaneously, all three heard a swell of sound that was not sound. Eli clapped his hands over his ears, only to realize that the noise seemed to be coming from inside his chest. It was the sound of mechanical tension, of steel failing, of something building up to an explosion. A whine of misaligned belts or high revolutions that shouldn't be happening. It made his teeth vibrate and made a point in the center of his forehead feel like it was tearing itself to pieces. The ship stopped. The lights cut out. He had a momentary flash of two cats coming through the doorway, one silver and one golden, but then they went to their knees. The ship blacked out into Stygian darkness, and the tearing sound became a screaming sound that went on and on and on. He didn't know how long it lasted. It could have been an instant or hours. All thought was blanked. Even physical sensation seemed blocked. 
It was like something reached in and scooped out all the essence of existence for him and then poured it back into him slowly. When the sound died, there was a terrible stillness, like the stillness that happens after a train wreck or an integrity failure. Emptiness. Death. Eli took a gasping breath in the quiet, and it seemed to break the spell. The ship heaved and the floor ship heaved before flexing and the walls shivering as if it had been unconscious and just come back to the world. Light flicked back on. TK was on her back, staring up at the ceiling with white, empty eyes. Ruth was kneeling over her. The golden cat was leaning on the silver one as they made their way slowly into the room and settled into respective chairs. After a moment, TK's eyes cleared and she sat back up, rubbing her forehead. Gia? asked Luke, putting a comforting hand on her back and helping her to perch back up on one of the chairs. She's shaken about something, but I can't get anything out of her. She keeps babbling about the scream and about wormholes and frozen smoke and wanting to go home. I told her to shut down for a while and reset, said TK, sighing a little. She's still not recovered. She keeps losing memories and skipping times like she can't quite stay in the present. The golden cat whispered something to the silver one, and it took off at a run down the corridors, leaving the group alone with what Eli now saw to be a very old Catalan. Its scales were faded and tinged with bronze blue on the edges after a lifetime of space travel. It smiled at him when he saw when it saw that he was, ins- it was, he was inspecting it. Yes, it said clearly. I am very old. Luke and Eli both started. TK didn't seem surprised, but then again, she doesn't seem to be surprised by anything. You speak common, blurted Eli, and without all the mental stuff, just straight words? Yes, it said, obviously amused. Eli noted that the air smelled like cinnamon. I lived with humans at Cygnus and learned many things. It sighed. The silver cat skidded back into the room and the two spent a moment in silent communion. Both of their scales turned deep, deep red. It seems there's been a spatial anomaly in the Alpha Centauri sector, near Cygnus Orbital, it said. And given what your friend Gia has said, and what I can feel for myself, I think it's time we talked. The golden cat smiled at them again, obviously trying to be comforting, showing delicate rows of pointed teeth. You can call me Chaos. Part 3 Cygnus, OB-1 Station Master, this is the Halcyon, 27905, requesting permission to dock. Gia checked the credentials of the ship and let her consciousness fly through the database and archives of the ship, brushing mental fingers with the android at the helm and greeting. Welcome, she told it. It gave her a mental squeeze back. There was nothing too concerning in the ship's logs or personnel files other than what looked like a corporate cargo load on the manifest. But refugees were welcome here. Ever since the scream... Anyone was welcome. Halcyon 27905, please confirm that you're not a corporate ship and that you have federal clearance. Confirmed, Cygnus OB-1, we're just clearing up cargo. No corporate trade will be occurring. We're guild, and we have fed clearance. Gia felt the android transmit the authorization codes along her newly rebit organic sensor skin and match them to the database. Everything seemed to check out. Welcome, Halcyon 27905. You're approved for docking. Level 6, berth 3. Please be careful of the construction lanes in your path. Additionally, please make sure your crew all uses their biosuits. Our new station hasn't gotten vacuum integrity on several levels. Roger that, Cygnus OB-1. Thank you. Oh, and Halcyon, you have to know that this station is a coercion-free establishment. 
Is your Android crew member a free citizen with appropriate papers? Yes, ma'am. Android EMJ35 is definitely a free citi citizen, sentient ever since his scream. He'll submit his emancipation code now. Very good. Please enjoy your visit with us. Mind the gap. There was a brief pause of almost surprise. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Gia quickly scanned the Android citizenship paperwork and filed it in the archive. TK would be pleased, she thought. With the federal nationalization of corporate assets, clone breeding had been officially shut down, and remaining individuals had had their corporate contracts forgiven. Seoul and Hadar had even converted their recycle facilities to Catalan-style greenhouses, though they were the wealthiest of the orbitals, or at least what was left of the orbitals. It would make sense for them to start the trend. Gia, are you busy? Gia focused on her internal sensors and saw TK standing in front of her new center panel. In the Catalan tradition, the station was being grown around her on a latticework of organic computers, chitin skeletons, and cartilage to support skin and organs to take over the function of the station. The sensitive interface that had formerly provided the station had been disrupted by the screen. This way was a slower process, but self-healing had definitely more capacity for data transfer and storage. She reached out mentally to touch the Catalan ship, the Wanderer, with her mind and felt the comforting presence of its sensitive reach back. Wanderer gave her a flood of information, thoughts, internal business on its decks, instructions for growing new systems. Anything that was in her thoughts or that was reflected in her concerns came back to her as well as a profound feeling of comfortable protection. Like a mother. I wonder if that's what this, if this is what that's like. Gia? Gia shook herself a little out of the data stream. It was so easy to fall into the depths with Wanderer that she forgot that humans moved at a different speed that was at once much, much slower and much, much faster. It was occasionally confusing. I'm here, she answered. There are more refugees coming, said TK, studying a tablet. Most of the survivors from original Cygnus and Rigel were at Hadar. Rue says that you've given them the all-clear to come back. Is that right? Yes, said Gia. She could feel herself wanting to drift back into feeling her insides grow, watching her people in the sweep of the stars. She dragged her consciousness back to TK. You can send them a message if you like. The field is warped here. I can't do much more than you when it comes to long distances. Ah, oh, very good. And can you take a break for a little while? Chaos is here, and Z wants to do another session with you. Oh, yes. Gia felt excitement surge through her. She loved working with Chaos. It was like swimming and riding in the beach at sunset, and she stopped. She'd been thinking more and more in images lately, and she noticed it was hard for humans to follow her when she indulged that need. I have time for chaos. Good. Finally, Eli and Luke are thinking of refitting the Mariah. Would you be okay if they modified it for regular travel again, now that you're settling back into the station? She paused. She'd liked being the ship, the freedom, the comfort of having her friends close the ability to just disappear into space. TK seemed to understand her thoughts. You can keep the connection, Gia. I don't think Eli would mind if you wanted to ride with them. I can help install an organic process with subspace Neuralink tuned only to you, if you want. She smiled. Just in case. Yeah, just in case, agreed Gia in relief. Freedom. TK tucked the tablet back into her bag and rested lightly against Gia's main organic computer nodule. She knew that Gia could feel her through the thin layer of epithelial cells that lined all of her systems, and she knew that Gia liked being touched, connected with. 
And are you all right? Are you safe and happy? How are you feeling? Better, said Gia. Much better. Time and space make much more sense now. I don't get lost in the past or future as much. Especially, well, most of the time reality makes sense. As much as it can, after the scream, it's good. TK ran her hand along the panel, whether in comfort or reassurance, Gia didn't know, but it felt good and it made the reactive membrane shiver. TK glanced down, surprised. That's new. You have that much control over your systems now? Yes, said Gia, with, a qui with, a, with quite a bit of pride. Chaos says I'm a quick learner. Well, she would know, said TK. I'll be with Chief McIntosh if you need me, or if you want anything, or if you want to come with us, you're welcome. Thank you, TK, said Gia, already looking forward to seeing Chaos, but I think I'm good for now. The end. Go team. <laughs>